living in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that can pull off a mean quose. It's a ballet reference. Look it up, okay? <laughs> My name is Greg D. <laughs> I'm the pirouetting genius McGee. (laughs) And on today's episode, we're delving even deeper into the mouth of March Madness, and we are unleashing an unholy trinity (coughs) of guest podcasts, including... We have the Classic Horrors Podcast, the Cinepunks Podcast, and the Horror Business Podcast. And they are going to help us break down their surviving, dirty horror classics from our Mm -hmm. 1977 bracket. But before we get into that, gang, let me remind you, we are part of the ever-expanding Phantom Podcast Network. Phantom. And you can find all of our past episodes along with a host of other horrific horror podcasts at downrightcreepy.com. Or if you're like me and you like to listen to us on the go, simply search for uh, Nightmare Junkhead in your iTunes or SoundCloud app. Hit subscribe, and when you re-drop our latest episode, it'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your disco hole. wasn't anticipating that one actually so well played sir well played Uh, so before we set foot into the mouth of March Madness um, I actually want to give a shout out to a specific podcast so those of you that listen know Genius you're not much of a podcast listener yeah no I don't listen to you're not you're not not. I listen to a lot of podcasts and one of them it's always nice when you're listening to a podcast you enjoy and you they shout you out I don't know if it's like a, a musician hearing themselves on the radio for the first time, you know, but it's a nice. And so there's a really, really, a, and I dare say adorable podcast I listen to called the Cadaver Cast. Now you might be saying, Greg, you said adorable, but it's the Cadaver Cast. So what it is, it is a father son podcast. Jeff is the dad. Mm-hmm. Alistair is the kid and the kid is five. <sighs> And he is the most precocious five-year-old. He's Monster Al. His name is Alistair. And it is the most fucking adorable thing ever. And so it's uh, so they were giving shout-outs, and they gave us... And he was like, I've been listening to a lot of Nightmare Junkhead recently. And then also shouted out uh, Amy and Carly from The Final Girls. Oh, nice. Phantom Podcast, you know? Nice. So it was just so... Um, hey, Jeff, we you know what you're doing, I think, is awesome. Because it got me thinking about how cool is it for that kid... Yeah down the line get to listen back and go wow how cool you know that's, yeah. just, that's some cool shit that is cool but d- does the little kid listen to our podcast no too? no 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 okay because no, 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 no. like, we don't want like well little billy was saying zobbledy bip in, in class so we can't this will actually this is going to be jeff hopefully if you're listening give alistair a shout out monster al tell him nightmare junkhead loves him love what you're doing with that because you're really leaving behind a really cool legacy yeah. for your kid to give him insight to where you were at that time and where he was and just that, I don't know, maybe if it's Mother's Day or whatever, but I just I just love that concept. Well, it sounds like Monster Al's going to be a rad little kid when he grows he's up. He's got credibility yeah, already. He's, right? He's already developing cool credibility before he needs to have cool credibility. Right. <laughs> like, his dad's thinking in advance here. So, uh, d- guys, check him out on SoundCloud, uh, CadaverCast. They are fantastic. And well, shit, I might have to check him out now. That's see if you and Shorty could do something <laughs> similar. would be pretty rad. And also, make sure you're checking out the Final Girls as well. So, uh... Here we are. We are halfway through yes. our Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. <laughs> Almost June, but, <laughs> you know, hey, that's a lot of it's a lot of horror. So. And there's a lot of learning curve here with our first real delve into this. So we do appreciate your patience. Uh, but I think for the most part, it's going along really well. Yeah. Uh, we've had a lot of really good listener interaction. And no we, complaints yet. So. Nothing so far. And we're halfway through. And so uh, the whole Frightful Four round, you know, the mm-hmm. final four representatives, we've got two. Yeah. 
And so for 1987, we were joined by uh, Mark Nato from the Horrorcast and Patrick Bromley from the Of This Movie podcast. Mm-hmm. And it ultimately came down. <laughs> it was a fun one. And so, of course, the Dream Warriors moves on to the Frightful Four. Uh, it was impressive. It was very impressive. I mean, you know, today is one of those days where I think Hellraiser would be Dream Warriors. But yeah. again, just time and place. I, I stand firm the Dream Warriors. It definitely so. works. And then our last episode that dropped, uh, 1997, found an entrance into the Frightful Four. Mm-hmm. Where we don't need eyes to see for Event Horizon. Which uh, was not a big surprise, actually, when you look at it, because a lot of love was heaped on it. So um, I'm excited to go forward here because by going back by going back and <laughs> if you go back and listen to our 1977 uh first round episode <laughs> it got dirty it got I, dirty quick <laughs> i'm sure a lot of people had to take some showers to scrub the grime off because it did get dirty and to class the join up we're actually bringing in our first guest here guys uh they are from the phantom podcast network phantom uh, guys, they're club meets once a month, uh, and they take great care in discussing and analyzing some of the great horror classics and some of the great unknown classics as it is. Uh, welcome to Nightmare Junket for the first time, guys, from the Classic Horror Club podcast, Jeff Owens and Rich Chamberlain. How are you guys? Fantastic. Thanks yeah. for having us. Yeah, definitely. Thank you very much. This is great. This Thanks is, for being on, guys. This is awesome. So to you know, take a little peek behind the curtain here, uh, the last few ones we've done with the whole Into the Mouth of March Madness, we've done through Skype, which is fantastic. You know, I'm glad mm-hmm. we have these technology to do so. Uh, but uh, you guys, this is nice because you're local here in the Kansas City area, so we're in studio with you. Yeah, it's pretty cool, actually. It's, you know, I know when Jeff and I started doing the podcast, it was just cool looking at you know, having one person uh, but now, of course, you know, meeting some others, this is great. Yeah. Uh, and it's cool right now, but, you know, as we came down the treacherous stairs, <laughs> you were still upstairs setting the alarm. Um, you know, I, I hope this airs, and if uh, you haven't seen us in public <laughs> help, uh, while this help. is playing, yes. Well, <laughs> Never mind the goodbye horses going on in the background. Would you, would you pod with me? I'd pod with me. Pod with me so hard. We are really going so quickly here. We start talking about the movie. And, I, and I, as I said, we were going to class the joint up here, and just genius derailed us here. So please, before we get into anything, please plug, promote the website, the podcast, anything that you guys want to make sure. Where can our listeners find you guys? Sure. Well, we sort of have our our own thing that we do, and then we get together to do the podcast. But but my thing is uh, classichorse.club, uh, a blog website. And I do all the social media with that, Facebook, Twitter, even Pinterest. I don't know the... Uh, exact letters and words, but if you go to one, you can find it. I think it's pretty easy to find it. But it is classicors.club, and that's the whole uh, thing of it. It's not .com, .net, it's .club, so it's a club. You know, we were fun. I Actually, yeah. How, now, how does one become a member of the club? Uh, just uh, let us know. I think I don't so know. There's, there's blood involved. I was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stool uh, sample, uh, you know, it could get rough there. Yeah. First Everybody's welcome. Everybody's yeah. welcome. Awesome. awesome. What happened to his eyes? <laughs> <laughs> but the podcast you can find on Phantom Podcast Network, SoundCloud, Downright Creepy, all that. Yeah, it's fantastic. How about you, Rich? Well, um, you know, I started off doing uh, a blog um, after doing some guest appearances on some other podcasts over the years. Uh, B-Movie Cast uh, with late, great Vince Rotolo uh, was actually my very first uh, 
podcast appearance. I did several episodes way back in the day. That's um, I did not know that. that's rad. And uh, I've been on uh, Dread Media, the Dread Media podcast, since around episode 100. I started doing some voicemails. And then summer of 2015, uh, I did a random uh, film review for Tales of Dracula, I think it was. It was a really bad movie. But, uh, <laughs> but I wanted to do it. And I, I was doing some other stuff on my blog, so I, I reached out to Desmond Reddick and said, hey, you know, I was like, would you be interested if I just recorded something, you know, random? He said, sure. Use my phone. That's the technology. I do an MP3, cranked out a 10-minute review, sent it to him. And about two days later, he said, do you want to be a regular feature on the show? Because he was already considered me like an unofficial feature. So, uh, and so ever since then, it's just like I send him whatever. as like I can choose whatever films I want, old, new. I can do as long as I want, as short as I want, whenever I want. So... Uh, he just recently celebrated episode 500, so I think the last one I did was a few weeks ago. Uh, did the Belko experiment? Good lord! Uh-huh. So um, yeah, That's... I had a lot of fun with that. And then you know, as far as the my my blog's Monster Movie Kid, I started that in 2012. Uh, MonsterMovieKid.wordpress.com. Still doing that, but I kind of went a little mainstream. I went Kansas City Cinephile was a new uh, site that I started in January, which is KCCinephile.com. So everything goes there. And then if it's horror related, I duplicate it over at Monster Movie Kid. That's right. I love it with just the whole Kansas City, the whole home pride, all that kind of good stuff. It's kind of what I wanted to do, you know, and and it was kind of interesting when I came up with the name Cinephile. I mentioned it to my daughter and she said, Dad, that kind of sounds like pedophile. (laughs) And so I was like, well, that's not where I really wanted to go. But thank you. Thank you for your two cents. And And now for a very special episode. Of course. And this was like three months after I'd already bought the domain for a year. So I was like, okay. So there we go. Buyer's remorse. I bet, you know, I'm going to keep it. So uh, there you go. Power through it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a talking point. You know, if anybody <laughs> actually, looks at me oddly, I'm like, hey, you know. It actually does work really well. That's pretty great. So um, in all, the terms mo- of, all the movies are 21 and over. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, you meet behind the beaded curtain there. <laughs> so you guys are really all over the, the web for the most part. So how did then the podcast itself come together? Well, obviously, if anyone's listened, Richard's the one with the experience, and um, <laughs> I could—I wouldn't have done it without him. I asked. Well, we got together. I—I I had known Richard from hearing him call into to shows and from Monster Movie Kid, and then all of a sudden one day I learned he was in Kansas City. I thought he lived in Wichita, so we just got together. It used and, to be Richard from Wichita. It was a nickname that, was that the I moniker? gave myself for a long time. Moved to Kansas City, didn't really click anymore. And Richard from Kansas City doesn't flow. <laughs> So, Monster Movie Kid was kind of born. So, yeah, it's so a mutation. Nice. It, I mutated exactly. Yeah. So we got together. I'm learning from him, and I think we're having a good time. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've learned a lot, a lot of fun. You know, it's just we talked about it last year, and, and he said, "Well, if we're going to do this." I said, "You know, I know that my biggest concern was keeping everything balanced, and so I said, let's do once a month and test the waters and." Uh, so far, it's been great. Having a lot of fun with it. So. That's why our podcasts are 10 hours long, because yes. we just do them once a month. <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, there are, I know there are people People are always going to complain regardless, but I like the ones that actually you actually can invest in, because I take my dog on long walks, and when I go on a long walk, I need a long podcast. Uh, one of the things I really dig what you guys do, and one of the things I wanted to make sure we did when we were bringing in some of the other Phantom podcasts is some of the features, some of your specific content, what you guys do. And one of the things that I really like uh, is you give kind of the pop cultural context of the year the film came out, uh, which adds so much to it because we actually are very much of the opinion, you know, a lot of good horror reflects what's going on in society Mm -hmm. at the time. So I wanted to kind of bring that in here. And since we were doing the 1977 bracket, 
I thought I would talk about some of the high points and low points from pop culture in 1977. <laughs> but you know, if you if you're talking 1977, and we're all sci-fi geeks here, and even though this is a horror podcast, you know what came out in 1977? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's gonna say it? Who's gonna say it? Yeah. Right? Oh my god! It's like we're all just daring each other. It's like, yeah, you gonna say it? You gonna say Superman? It? Uh, the car. No. <laughs> the car. <laughs> Deathbed. <laughs> the bed that eats people. <laughs> yeah. George Lucas gave us Star Wars, yeah, that man. Star, Star that, that, that independent yeah. little indie film? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was, such an indie darling. Yeah, I have a feeling it's going to go places, you know, get behind the merchandising on that. The I was crazy a, Star Wars. <laughs> oh, Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, I grew up with Star Wars. I had the sheets. I Tell technically do have some sheets like that. Unfortunately, uh, you take the pull-out couch upstairs. Boom! Nothing screams virgin quite like that. Yub uh, yub indeed. The uh, Atari Twenty Six console came out. The Twenty Six Hundred with Halloween and uh, Texas Chainsaw on it. Yes. Do you guys remember those? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. Did, now, did any of you have one? Is the yeah, thing I did not. Uh, I did have Atari. I didn't have those games. Yeah. Well, though that hey, I had two copies of ET. That was kind of horror in itself. <laughs> I remember that one. I fell down the Didn't goddamn pit again. Eat the Reese's pieces yeah, and make flowers grow yeah. inside of wells and shit. <laughs> like nothing to do with nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the, fact, the fact that Atari had a whole not they kind of had a whole <coughs> X-rated series of games. They had the one that was called Custer's Revenge. Do you uh, remember that one? I've heard of it. It's awful. Don't yeah, look it up on YouTube. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Don't, it's uh, they had one for Porkies, Bob <laughs> really? Clark's Porkies. Really? You know, Black Christmases, Bob Clark's mm-hmm. Porkies. Yeah, was yeah. there like a little mini level where you had to like look in the peephole, peephole. and like <laughs> Bob Brecker came after you? No. <laughs> okay, cool. Bonus Lassie round. <laughs> 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 but they also gave us a, a, a Halloween game, a Texas Chainsaw yeah, Massacre. And yeah. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game, you play as Leatherface. That's it's, awesome. It's That's insane. insane. It, the, the fact that that existed way back when. So even in 77, you had horror invading the home through the home consoles. You know, it was just everywhere. Well, you know, when you've got a, a year in which disco exists, you know, oh. I mean, everything else from there is just horrific, right? I can't <laughs> be too much against disco, you know, especially even in the horror context because of... Uh, I, I actually, when the disco craze came back in the 90s, I jumped on that bandwagon pretty hard, too. <laughs> I, I, and I still dig it. I mean, I'll put on some, like, fucking Gloria Gaynor and just fucking dance around. I ain't even gonna lie. <laughs> I just want to be in love, baby. And it just like <laughs> 77 seems to seep and invade our podcast regardless here, even if we're talking about it or not. Um, so in terms of the whole podcast coming together again, love what you guys are doing. So and I love the fact that like you guys and a bunch of others, but KC is a horror town, you know, yeah. I'm noticing that a lot more. I mean, not, not, I mean, shameless plug that when I became the president of the horror club I didn't know that all this existed and then finally when I reached out and I saw all these things artists vendors podcasters haunted house people just um, bloggers authors it's so wonderful how big of a town Casey loves its horror well, I've know? only been here since 2014 um, and Wichita doesn't have anything even remotely like that now one thing I've noticed is that Besides that, you know, the horror community, I think just the film community up here. Yeah. uh, The comic community. I mean, you know, just 
all of these things that we just didn't have in Wichita. Mm-hmm. We had one theater chain, and it's Bill Warren and Warren Theaters. And so, which is great. He does a great job, but... <laughs> Shout out Bill Warren. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's absolutely no um, originality. I mean, he's, he's got like all three theaters. You go and you get the same experience. I love going to to all the different theaters. Yeah, here, you and know, each one is different. Yeah, everyone's got its own little flair, mm-hmm. you know, uh, going to uh, you know, Screenland and stuff like that. It's just different stuff. And it's yeah. got some its own flair, which is what you used to have back in the 70s, right? When these movies came out. You know, there was there was the twin down the street, or maybe a fourplex, maybe. Right. You, you had know. to drive about fifteen minutes extra sometimes to get to that one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so you had all these different things, and then and uh, you know you still had the 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 uh, the big screen with the uh, with the balcony and stuff. Some of those still were open before they started going into the the, the grindhouse genre. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, Back so yeah. when everything had character and charm. Yeah. So that being said, kind of what what was your guys' whole entryway origin into the whole horror genre? Well, I I was a true monster kid. I'm a little more uh, mature than <coughs> most of the people in this room. <laughs> I I did grow up uh, running home after school to watch Dark Shadows. I love Dark Shadows to this day. I read Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. Yep. My mm. father took me to see The Exorcist. Uh, I was in junior high. I saw Carrie burnt offerings on the big screen. I I remember oh, these the first you, time. You personally burnt offerings. <laughs> yeah, had yeah. you had to to get into the Carrie screening. Yeah. So I I grew up with it. My mom I don't think she loved the blood and guts horror, but she liked the thrillers and the the creepy ones. You know. So I, I don't know. I I don't know why I have that in me, but I've had it from a very young age and still have it. You're very lucky, though. It sounded like they actually wanted to kind of cultivate that within you. Well, maybe. Now, here's the other part. I, growing up, I would have the, I'd have these horrific nightmares, and I'd have these. I would call them sick headaches, where I would get a, a headache, and the only relief I would get would when I would finally throw up, and then I was fine. So they took me to doctors. I had my head examined and all of that. And Random I, my Latin chanting in the background. <laughs> <laughs> my mother tells told me recently about a note she got from one of my teachers that said. You know, we think maybe some of the things he's watching and reading might be why he's having nightmares. <laughs> um, but, you know, I didn't make the connection back then. And I think I turned out all right. So, Like, Jeff, do you have your homework? <laughs> and that's some of the golden age of horror, too, in terms of 70s. You, yeah, that's... it was perfect because I was I would stay up late on night. In fact, I'd go to bed and actually set my alarm to get up at midnight to watch the universal monsters on friday night tv but then at the drive-in where the hammer movie's coming out for the first time so it was it was a sweet spot with and that's so that's what you know that's why classic horrors came about because it's you know that to me is classic and the kansas city community that you mentioned is fantastic it's a great horror community but one of the reasons i started classic horrors.club is that there it wasn't really reflecting these early yeah. universal mm-hmm. and yeah. that and you guys are great. I love you. You're one of the first podcasts podcasts I listen to, and I still do. But, you know, nostalgia to you is like 80s. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it is to me, too, because I was in graduating high school and going to college. But yet there's something about those younger years. And so, to yeah. me, it's, you know, Universal on TV, Hammer at the Drive-In. That's my nostalgia. That's my classic horror. Are you kidding? That's perfect. How about you, Rich? Um, I was born in 67. So, I'm I'm a little younger than Jeff. Not much, though. So, Wichita didn't have very many TV stations. Um, we had ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS. We didn't have a UHF station. Um, so we didn't get cable until like 78, 79. 
And when we got that, then we got Channel 41 out of Kansas City, which, of course, that and then Channel 17, which was Superstation TBS. TBS. Um, and so, yeah, all of a sudden, the world was opened up. Prior to that, <laughs> it was Universal Films. It was maybe Dracula, Frankenstein, maybe a Sherlock Holmes flick on, on a Friday or Saturday night, but that was it. They didn't, in fact, I think there was only two of the, the TV stations showed movies. The other two didn't even show movies. So... When we got Channel 41 and, and Ch- Channel 17 did all the Hammer films, all of a sudden it's like my head exploded, right? Mm-hmm. I had read about these. I had books about this stuff. I'd seen the famous monsters. But now I was watching Creature Feature with Cremation Mortem on yeah. Saturday nights with my dad and and discovering all these films, you know. And then it just kind of continued. I got I worked in a video store in 88 and the early days of video. Duncan's Movie Magic in, in Topeka, <laughs> which boasted the largest selection in the midwest and they did they had they had a room in which you could go in as like any like silent film they had they had uh they had the cable version of porn films behind the swinging doors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because they got in trouble and had to take all the x-rated stuff back back home uh but that was they were like the, they had like the entire vhs run of star trek you know so they that's they had all this weird stuff and working there, you could get whatever, you know, rent whatever. As long as it wasn't a new film, it's like mm-hmm. they didn't care. They wanted you to watch the old stuff. Yeah. And so that's that era. And then when I started collecting previewed videotapes and buying the Universal films. But in the 80s, you know, you go back a few years before I start working in the video store. I, you know, it was HBO late at night. You know, we had HBO upstairs, but didn't have it. You know, I had, a you know, my own room in the basement, a black and white TV, but... Mom and dad, you know, I was a good little Catholic boy. I was going to get corrupted. The scrambler back then, <laughs> all you had to do was turn the dial on the black and white TV, and HBO came in perfect. So that's where, you know, my nice. buddy Valentine, Friday the 13th, edu- the other part uh, of the education. My Tutor with Karen Kay. Oh, wait, that's the wrong podcast. No, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that, that's where I, I would watch all those 80s slasher flicks, you know, late at night. Lady Chatterley slasher. Uh, yes, yes, repeatedly, you know. Uh, we didn't have Cinemax, unfortunately, but HBO used to be pretty good back in the day. So well, It's um, really interesting just in terms of, you know, the big whole thing with nostalgia is how we ingested it initially, okay. the media. Um, and then you now today, just in terms of how much we have, we're almost oversaturated with it. And that's one of the things I like about doing the podcast is just kind of recalling those days because it just seems like nowadays – Nothing is really earned in terms of seeking films out. You know, there's no discipline yeah. to it because back in those days, it was either what you were given or what you sought out, and mm-hmm. you really had to work to sought it out. And so, well, like videos, you, you know, if it was on videos, like not everything was on video. No, and you know, there was the underground bootleg community, which Wichita didn't know what the heck that was about, and, and Topeka still doesn't know. Freaks so, are seen, man. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah. Now it's you go to YouTube and you can find. I think every I, one of these films yeah. was on YouTube. So. It's, it's incredible. And so we just, it's just kind of not necessarily lamenting the video store days, but there's just something just Charm. with it. There was something yeah. said. Yeah. Cause I, similar, uh, similar, I worked in the video store and I remember watching uh, Cremation Mortem and Friday Fright Night and oh, all yeah. that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Little, little skull. <laughs> like, pop up. welcome yeah. to the Friday Fright Night. <laughs> <laughs> I used to watch it every day. I think that was the first time I saw Amityville. And I think it was also one of the first times I saw Halloween. That was, in fact, the very first videotape that I actually recorded stuff off the air was of Friday Fright Night stuff. And they did like a succession of weeks. That's where I got 
Soylent Green, <laughs> Logan's Run, the Ooh. Omega Man. Oh, nice. is it safe? Yeah, it was just all those all those weeks <laughs> just consecutively. So yeah, yeah Jesus. Yeah. So and that's I wish they still had that videotape. Actually, that was my very first tape. It, the other things I got, I, I you know the very first videotape I bought was Creature from the Black Lagoon from nice. Good Times Home Video. And, uh, <laughs> good times. Yeah, good times. Yes. And I uh, got it at Camelot Music, you know, at White Lakes Mall in Topeka. You know, what's a mall? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, and, you know, I look back at those like these very first videos. That's that's who I was, and that's who I still am now. So. Uh, yeah, so definitely I haven't changed much, but uh, <laughs> you know the the way of getting these films is a lot easier. But it's it was fun, kind mm-hmm. of. Hey, discovering this videotape, yeah. I didn't, I don't even know what this is. It was the thrill of the hunt and the victory of his success, knowing like, like basically, I walked through six miles of shit and came out the other side clean. To know that like <laughs> you had to get like because you unfortunately for every good tape you found, I mean, there were seven or eight of them that you got and you were stuck with and you went through it anyway. But you kind of got an appreciation, though, for some of the finer bad films out there as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, it's just it's different. But I really think I love the fact that you guys were kind of uh, you had that upbringing, so to speak, with films. Again, and just talking about those relationships. Mm-hmm. There's Again, there's something about that. So that being said, let's go ahead and go into the mouth of March. Marth- into the mouth, mouth of March, March Madness. <laughs> madness has taken over me here. <clears throat> so we've got four films and totally different. I mean, just, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, quite honestly, yeah. So uh, we talk often about uh, re- forming relationship with films, just in terms of some that you've seen so many times, uh, you've seen over time that you develop a relationship with films. So before we get into any of these, by any chance with any of the four films that we're talking about, let's just put it out here. Do you have a relationship with any of these films? I, I, will, I will be honest with you. Um, of these four films... I, you know, this is where, as a horror fan, you've got the long list of films you've seen, and then you've got that long wish list. I had only seen one of these four films before. Excellent. These were all first-time views. And really, I'm going to say Suspiria was almost like a first-time view. What I, I had a very bad copy of it. <coughs> uh, it came from Netflix, but I, I, it was not a good print. And, <laughs> I, I, you know, halfway through the film, I was just like, oh, this is a crappy print. And so I was like, I didn't appreciate it. And so the others I was aware of, I had heard of them, but had never, have never seen. I, I was certainly aware of how Sue, and I was always like, I should probably see this, right? Criterion tells me. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, this is all first time viewings for me. So that, I'm I, really anxious to hear your opinions on these films then, because yeah, that's always why I love, especially when we host films, the biggest thrill is like seeing someone getting to experience a film for the first, first time. time. So yeah. I'm anxious to see how those are treating yeah. you. What about you? Yeah, I don't really have a, the closest I have a relationship with is Suspiria just because as a horror fan, that's, you've got to know Suspiria. You've got to see it. That was one that I sought out. I mean, I don't think any of these really were particularly easy to find no. uh, at, at any point. Now, of course, we talked about that. But so, yeah, Suspiria, just sort of because I'm supposed to. Now, after having watched all four of them recently, I have formed a recent bond with one of these, which uh, I'm sure will come through as I talk about it, because I'm very fond of one of these movies. I'm anxious to hear that. Now, let's look back on the old bracket before we go into the ones. Was there any on the older ones, the original eight, that might have, like... Not really, but I was looking at ones that came out in 77, and I think that... um, 
Alice Sweet Alice maybe was overlooked. That, that movie <laughs> is so okay. First of all, it's a public domain movie. Um, when I first started, when I not to talk about when I did Horror Club for the first time. But when I when I first started Horror Club, one of my first events was called "It Came from Public Domain," where I took over a little bar, the Green Room, and we would put. Um, movies on screen ones that i could get from public, public domain. domain and alice sweet alice was the very first one driller killer was the second one but alice sweet alice is such a weird um and that whole like dirty neighbor subplot yeah. almost diddler aspect just like <laughs> you know? which good lord help us is just you see it throughout there's a lot of diddlers in the yeah. 70s i mean yeah. like again just a dirty episode that we had here yeah I'll blame it on the platform shoes and the lime green leisure suits. You know, once you put that on, it changes your persona. It, but but even the Alice with Alice was like, Brooke Shields is not innocent anymore. And you're like, well, what kind of movie am I to watch? There are several of those films in here. So I'll throw it out here to you guys for our guests here. Uh, it's the first round. We always have a bracket. Uh, themes mm -hmm. uh, and as it turns out after everything goes through the first round we don't really do it but honestly with the four films we have and the way they're paired <laughs> I feel confident in saying both of these could definitely be the battle of beauty and the beast mm -hmm. in terms of what we're offering so we have Suspiria which which when you say Suspiria the first time you say it you have to say Suspiria so just to get that out of the way we have Eaten Alive we have Haosu and we have Martin. Mm. So let's just, I'm going to throw it out to you guys. Which one shall we delve into first? Let's start off with Haosu. Because okay. I, I want to start at the bottom and work our way up. <laughs> All right. So, but Richard, you are then, you're, in my mind, you're asking us, then we're getting ready to enter a, a part where we are largely silent because I need these guys to explain to me why Haosu is here. Why are we talking about it? And, because, like you said, Criterion told us to. <laughs> yes, yes. But Criterion also said Armageddon was one, you know, to seek out. So, you know. We had that discussion. It was like, you know, Criterion's got this section of movies, and then they've got these they just got the rights for. And they, and they, and they want your thirty nine ninety five, except in November when it's on sale half price at Barnes & Noble. So. And they know there's that pretentious art student that's like, fine, I'll get it. It's Criterion. Yeah. Now, I know you guys talk a lot about the shared experience of going to the theater and seeing it, and I mm -hmm. know there have been screenings of House Who Are One, and you probably went, and it was fantastic. But, you know, beyond that, what? T please tell me, what is what do you love about it so much? I love the just butt fuckery. I mean, not, not bat, bug fuckery, not butt fuckery. I missed that, that part. That, 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 not the special that, edition, right. apparently. That, Is that, that one of the bonus features right, no, on the that, criteria? That's rabid. No. <laughs> that was last round. No, I just like the batshit insanity of it. It's just one of those, it's like, when you see something that you really can't explain, but you have such a good time, and you can't wrap your head around it, so why try? And so just the amount of blood, the it fits in the horror uh, category, oddly, but it, I just think it's a fun what-the-fuck movie. Would you have gotten that same experience if you hadn't seen it in a, a crowd or if you were at home like I was watching? Was that my fault? Should I not Here have? is the. This is the kind of film you don't want to watch on your computer. This is a film you need to see as big as you can, as loud as you can, because it's mm -hmm. very much, it's it's got the bug fuckery, but it's also, it's sumptuous. To me, it's just, it's a gorgeous looking film that's very inventive when it comes to the special effects. And the palette, the color palette in that movie is just, 
so bizarre because you have the bright stark reds and then the beautiful Mount Fuji, but then you have like evil cats and you have talking butts and you have <laughs> evil pianos. Well, this is the second. There's two films in this round that I think you can really ask the question, does logic matter in this film? Like, if you have to approach it in a logical way, are you going to be able to appreciate it? And with How Sue, I don't think you can, for the most part, because I think it makes it more of a horror film, more of a fantasy film. Um, I'll even throw this one out to you. We talk a lot about gateway horror films for kids. I think this would be kind of a gateway horror film for a kid. Especially the Pokemon Go crowd. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, you know, you, you looked at... Uh, you know, it was partially it came from the uh, from the mind of a ten year old Japanese girl, and I was looking through some of the trivia. Quite literally, did yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, yeah. I mean, that's literally a lot of the ideas are are from the the mindset of a ten year old Japanese girl, which is going to be a little different than the average you know ten year old American girl. <laughs> but um, I, I, you know, I liked the visual aspect of it. Um, I liked um, the overall concept. You know, I liked the idea that it had. That was, it was different. Um, it was, it was, it was definitely out there and maybe, maybe it was a mindset. And I, this is where I always say with films, I could go back and, and revisit this six months from now in an entirely different setting and may have an entirely different opinion of it. Suspiria, prime example. Uh, Suspiria. Thank there you. we go. Really yes. <laughs> um, but when I first saw that with a bad copy, mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I knew the music's awesome. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. and that makes it a big part of the film. But the print was was I was like watching a a, a VHS tenth uh, generation dub DVD burned copy that Netflix was trying to convince me was a legit copy. <laughs> it was horrible, uh, and I you know I almost turned it off halfway through. I was like, no, I'm supposed to like this, right? I should mm-hmm. see it, and I ended. I was like, oh, this is horrible. But when I rewatched it, you know, I you know yeah sneak preview. It's it's my favorite of the four films. So mm-hmm. um, I think that. My experience with Hausu may be better on another viewing. And I watched it on the big screen, and I and so I, I you know, and cranked it up. And the volume was going, and my dogs were looking at me like, "What the hell's going on?" And <laughs> giant cats going across, and my dog Stanley goes running up the stairs. Literally, he ran up the stairs. He's afraid of his own shadow. You know. Um, do you think there's danger of too much hyperbole with a film like this? Because this is a film that you will see mo- a lot of horror fans will say, yeah, you, you've got to dig Hausu. You know, that's- I think sometimes, yeah, they, you, you get a, a film that gets so much hype mm-hmm. and then you go into it with such high expectations. That- you, you get burned, yeah. And, and I, I did go into this film with probably higher expectations because Criterion told me to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then I'm like, well, you know, okay, this is, this is, maybe this is Armageddon. I don't know. You know... I want to revisit it at some point and and maybe get you know uh, a better print. I had a I had a good print, but I, I would like maybe a you know Criterion blue, cri, uh, Criterion right. print. <laughs> yes, this is true. <laughs> uh, we, wish yeah. wish granted. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to go back and revisit it and see if maybe I enjoyed it upon a second viewing and with maybe a different maybe watching it with somebody else because mm-hmm. that always changes your viewing experience well too. also this is i mean this is an international film so you're coming from a different cultural yeah and that's viewpoint. one thing i would like to see i would like to maybe ask and like an older japanese person maybe who maybe have saw this is are we missing something you know is is the whole different um cultural aspect 
something that we're missing in the, terms the, of the, the, what a haunting house what a f- you know because i mean if you look at like even now if you look at j-horror it is nothing like american horror you know it's so i'm not 100 percent sure if if we're just not getting the gist of it you know what i'm saying well I, i've seen some horror japanese horror films from the 60s the the you know a lot of the haunted woman mm-hmm. films uh-huh. you know, there's a lot of them uh what's the one something about yatsuya i can't remember the full title of it but i think this is a whole different level though i mean this definitely is not your typical haunted woman haunted house i mean so i i think that this was they were trying to to definitely you know think outside the box and come up with something totally unique that maybe was centered around the special effects aspect of it maybe that it is an effects heavy film but you spend the first hour though getting to those effects for the most part and I think it uh, part of the charm of this film does come from, and we're going to do a Hausu roll call of all the little girls here, because they are all built around traits yes. in terms of their individual traits. Right. So we have gorgeous, we have fantasy, we have melody, we have kung fu, we have sweet, we have prof, and we have Mac, who was the chunky one. Uh-huh. And I mean, they all had those individual care, just those those traits, which I always find interesting. When in this, in terms of coming from cultures, if you think of an Eastern culture, it's more about the unified versus the individual. So you know, when you actually have these girls utilizing all those traits all at the same time, the good stuff is happening. So I don't know. I'm just kind of looking at it from the cultural person. I don't know. Trying to bring not necessarily <laughs> an academic viewpoint here. Well, when uh, genius, your question. Uh, I think there is something we're missing because the reason this movie came about was the the producers wanted a response to Jaws. Did you guys read yep. that? Yeah. So, you know, I don't see any connection whatsoever. So, <laughs> right. you know, if there is, then yeah, we're missing something. Well, and this is for, this is Toho in terms of the people yeah. who put that right. they put out Godzilla. So, in terms of if you're thinking if they're going to give you something a response to Jaws and it's Toho, you're not looking at this. But a lot of that though, there's um, a lot of people that say it's kind of a a response to the whole nuclear fallout from Nagasaki and Hiroshima because if you notice the ghost of the old lady, she's waiting for her lover to return from World War II. And it's when she loses him, she becomes the evil spirit and kind yeah. of that whole, it, it basically kind of starts everything off. There is a whole other layer to this film that gets lost in the the crazy animation. and the nonsense. The, yeah, well, yeah. And then the, you know, Kung Fu Mac, you know, characters that she got. It, there's, there is that, that core of a traditional Japanese horror story based in, in Japanese lore that, yeah, it does get lost. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see if they would have focused on that more. Would we even be talking about the film though? Because it would it wouldn't right. have all the other not at you all know, uh, butt fuckery that you mentioned. Oh, excuse me, <laughs> yeah, the bug <laughs> but that's almost that is the selling point though of the film. Yeah, like you it said, is. you it build is. everything up into that last half hour when everything starts happening. Yeah, it's almost like one of those like uh, you have to see this movie because it is so insane. Mm-hmm. So and that's the reputation of the film, and that's where yeah. I think ultimately. It maybe betrays the film, but I, it's one of those that, you know, when we saw it at the Alamo that one time, it was fantastic. Cause, yeah, it was, as you said, it you was had, gorgeous, but it was so weird, and nobody knew what the hell was going on, and we were all in the same very confused boat, but we enjoyed the cruise. So, <laughs> Were there alcoholic beverages involved? Uh, lots of alcohol. Oh, there you beverages. go. See, that's my problem. I should have been drinking. <laughs> well, I will say this. Of the four films that we're talking about, I do think it's probably the most inventive 
just in terms of audacity and again trying to kind of create movie magic because as cheap as some of the effects might look just visually i thought they were really inventive mm-hmm. uh, it's not every day a piano comes to life and or an ass starts eating you you know so <laughs> yeah the, the ta- decapitated head yeah. yeah it's just so weird so or at least that you're going to admit anyway <laughs> right not every yeah it's not every day but every other day mind you <laughs> that is the after hours podcast so final <laughs> houses are rocking don't come and knock <laughs> <laughs> so final final thoughts on House Sue. I have none. Okay, no, that's that's okay. So let us then again going a totally different way here, going from something very artful and beautiful and thought provoking, we get this George Martin just uh, George, George Romero. Romero George R R Martin. Well, a lot of people do die. <laughs> do you love me, Reek? <laughs> it's like fucking the Lannisters. That's what I do. I drink and I knock out women and suck their blood. So. <laughs> and that's a perfect encapsulation of George Romero's Martin yes, right there. Yeah. So I have to throw this out one. Uh, have you guys, had you seen Martin before this? I had. I, I don't, it was not memorable. Uh, but I don't know why it. This is the one that I loved. I oh wow, absolutely loved this. I had not seen this one. Um, I was aware of it, and it was it was on my definitely on my list to see. And so this was actually when you mentioned this is like this is one of the movies we're doing. It's like okay, I can finally check this one off the list. I was excited about seeing this one. So so I want to ask then, just in terms of Jeff, what was it? <laughs> I'm really anxious in terms of your you know your experience viewing it this time. It just it's it's such a really well made. It's a well-told story. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, literally, it's the best one of the four, I believe, storytelling-wise. It's just, it's uh, ambiguous. Uh, I think the point of whether he's a vampire or not is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a sick person. And it's just, it's very, to me, I had a deep emotional reaction to it, to the, the family relationship, to the grandfather thinking he's a vampire, um, to his sadness, his loneliness, and his thinking he can't connect with a woman and be with a woman, you know, unless he drinks their blood. Uh, and then when he learns that he can, it, I just, I don't know. I, the reasons I liked it really are not the horrific aspects. I just think it's a great drama and a great story. It's complex. And I, I we talked about it a little bit last time, but that sense of isolation and alienation that he feels, man. You know what? When you're growing up a horror fan. Yeah. That's not too uncommon, just in terms of the stuff that you're into. So it's kind of really goes into just. It's definitely a character-driven story through a horror filter. I mean, let's be honest. Martin, he does horrible Count Cosbula things, <laughs> and he's very irredeeming. Blah, 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 and uh, and he does such awful things. But at the same time, you can't help but feel sympathetic for him. I mean, with the whole like, um, like we said, like Grandpa Sanders. You know, I'll say Nosferatu. Nosferatu. I'm on a put with garlic and my seven herbs and spices. You know, and just, just. But it's he's he's such a sad character, and you feel bad even when he's doing such horrific, terrible things. You're like. I wish he wouldn't do that because I would like to help him, but he's a fucking monster. You do you know? give that credit to Romero or to the actor? Both. Both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, think there the was actor a, was very good. There was a grittiness to this film. Yes. I think, you know, really, I mean, the only actor 
you know, what we're, I could, okay, George Romero played Father Howard, you know, whatever. But Tom Savini was the only other actor that I you recognize, and he's got a but barely because barely. he didn't have that yeah, weird, that you, stash. You got, you got this, 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 you know, and he was a you know secondary character, third mm-hmm. character. Um, I think if you had had somebody you recognized, it would change the tone of the film entirely. I think when you watch some of these films where you don't recognize anybody. You know, it's like, for me, it sucks me in even more when I'm watching it because, like, I don't recognize everybody. So this could be, this could be real. This could be, like, found mm-hmm. footage, you know. And and just the overall style, some of the scenes, like, was it the, the parade scene or something yeah. that mm-hmm. wasn't even intended to be, you know, in the film originally, but they went with it. So I, you see some of this stuff, and it's like, you know, clearly, because uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Night Riders. Uh, quirky ass film that is truly Romero at his weirdest. It is. <laughs> it it's is. totally yeah. weird. You know, it's like King Arthur on motorcycles, and I watched the shit out of that when I changed the dial on my black and white TV <laughs> and watched it in my bedroom. Every you know, it came on like every other day on HBO. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. So I was like, I look at this and think, yeah, this is just something a little off. I really, I enjoyed it a lot. And I, but it's got such a good like. Dirty veneer of it too. It's, it's, it's no Pittsburgh it's, itself. It's, yeah, is it's a character. Forty Second Street suburbs. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. a dirty Pittsburgh. It, it's just which adds where that we, layer of grime and re- oh, oh, gritty and realness. Yeah, I think yeah. where yeah. someone who thinks they're a vampire can hide in the shadows, can be isolated. That feeling of loneliness, where your only really escape is going to a porno theater in a dirty ass, you know, corner of the neighborhood, and just that isolation of feeling. I felt so bad for Cosby. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, well, let's also talk about the fact that this is the Romero film that no one talks about. Yeah, everyone, yeah. it's unless you, he, he is the zombie granddaddy of this right. and that. But in terms of the vampire genre, this is a really solid entry mm-hmm. in that genre that no one talks about. Yeah, I, totally. I think I think it deserves a lot more love than it gets. You know, mm-hmm. and the fact, of course, that he made this movie really opened the door for him to continue to do. Night you Riders, know, Night Riders, show. you know, yeah. Creep Show, because uh, this came before uh, uh, Dawn of the Dead, right? Yeah, yeah, Dawn this, of the Dead seventy eight. Yeah, because yeah. it was right before. I think it just came right after Crazies, mm-hmm. which is another one that's it's not a bad little Romero film. It's, no, it's, it's, it's it probably is the one I think has hasn't aged as well. Right, but I don't know. Just watching this, Martin, when I re- the rewatch I had the last time, it was just it was one of those. It, experiences and it was it was just an uneasy experience yeah. but like you said there was something captivating about it because well, oh, i was gonna say there, there was a scene early on that i also really liked and i'd be real curious to know if romero had any inspiration or maybe it was just maybe a standard shot in films is the, the on the train when they were showing a shot of the of the headlight of the train coming i immediately flashed back to horror express uh with you know peter cushing christopher lee and and mm-hmm. uh, telly savalas because they had a lot of those shots in that film. And to me, it immediately came to it. I was like, I wondered, because that came out a couple years before Martin. So um, I don't know. You know, you, you, the setting on the train, I think, was, was, was you know, unique. Um, you don't get that in a lot of horror films. Um, and, and for me, it kind of set the stage. And then, of course, you get into the full-blown, you know, Cosby dirty angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, then he, you know... Definitely not your average vampire going right. on here. No, it's and we're talking a lot about character and drama and all that, but that train scene at the beginning that is horrifying. And yeah, it is claustrophobic. It, it is, and uh, and it goes on yes. a little longer yes. than it should. Yes, it. This is. I mean, it's effective on many levels. It's that's scary as hell, and 
because of such a horrible thing that's happening, you don't want to watch it, but the way it's done, you can't help but be captivated by it. And you're just like, oh my God, I'm watch- I feel so awful well, watching this. But then after it, it, you're, it just instantly captures you and you want to see where this goes. And then the way it ends, spoilers, just that boom, and it's done. You're like, what the hell just happened? You know, it, it captures you and then it just drops you. And it's just such a weird dirty ride well and, and you really do feel like you're you're being a voyeur while you're watching yeah because again you don't know these actors you know you're not putting them in the place of well, i saw this guy i know although i know oh was it john amplis you know was mm-hmm. in some other mm-hmm. romero films i didn't recognize him right. so yeah i'm feeling like i'm peering through like a, a peephole you feel dirty don't I, you I, I felt dirty while yeah. i was watching this you know cleaner than i did in eating alive which we'll talk about <laughs> later. yes but, we will talk about uh, that way later <laughs> but you know I like in in this movie. I liked that. I, I did yeah. like that. You know, you know, it wasn't overly graphic, but it was definitely in your face. Yeah. And it made and, you feel dirty watching it. Almost like if you would, if I would have caught this as a kid, because this is one the first time I saw. I was probably in my twenties. Because actually, this the the box art scared the shit out of me as a kid with the razor and everything. Yeah. So I, you know, watching it as a twenty year old, it wasn't as bad. But I can only imagine seeing this as a kid early on. Oh, my God, because these 70s horror films, they're dirty. Well, and this was a first-time watch for me for for the bracket. I am so glad I watched it now. I think if I was younger, the younger horror fan, Gorehound, you would have been bored. You would have been bored. I would have been bored with it. I would have been like, dismissed it. But the fact that I'm older, a little bit more wizened and seasoned, watching this movie now, it's really, really effective because... When you're younger, you don't understand. You feel those feelings of loneliness and isolation and all that, but you don't understand what's going on. And it's not until older where you're like, "Yeah, I hear you." You know, it. it, it, it means- I think this would make a really interesting pairing uh, with Fade to Black, uh, which is another oh, wow. good one about yeah. yeah, little movie loving weirdos that are isolated there. So we've kind of shared our thoughts on Hasu and Martin. So let's go ahead and put them head to head through the ringer. Yes, because we need to make sure and see who goes on into the Hateful Eight tournament here. So we've got two criteria here. We have what one is closer to your heart, closer to the heart, uh, Getty Lee style there. So again, which one has more of a nostalgia feel? And then we'll also look at just in terms of going instead of the heart with the head. Uh, if we took one of these away, which one would leave 1977 poor? So we're going to throw it out to you guys. And again, I can only imagine in terms of what we just heard of what uh, <laughs> yes. Jeff's going to say here. But Jeff, let's open up. Which one is a little closer to your heart here? Martin, for sure. It, it, it connected in some way I can't even describe in a um, in a <laughs> way Words. it makes any sense. <laughs> uh, yes, I can. Now she I, shall do an interpretive dance. Yeah, and I, I just had no connection at all with Hauzu. Um, so no, that's Martin okay. all the way. That's what I love about this. So Martin, okay, so Rich. Okay, so first time viewing on both of these. Yeah. So I don't have a nostalgic pull to these, So, but Martin, definitely, because... For me, it was a more enjoyable watch. Uh, it was something I would go back to and rewatch again. How Sue I would rewatch because I want to see what I'm missing. Did, you know, is there something, <laughs> you know? And it, admittedly, it's not high on the list, right? I mean, I definitely want to revisit it someday down the road. And Martin is one that, that honestly, I wouldn't mind having in my collection, which is another question 
I, I don't add a lot of movies to my collection anymore because, you know, you reach a point and you need to have some type of shelf space. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you need to see the sunlight once in a while. Uh, Martin is a film I would add to my collection. And hopefully nice. maybe we'll get a boutique, you know, Scream or a factory on that. Uh, so, okay, we got another one for Martin. So, genius. Now, for the heart, this one I'm really torn because, one kind of both of these were actually somewhat first time views how Sue, one of the first times i saw it was when we hosted it and martin was the first time when getting this ready so i don't have too much nostalgic factor i had so much fun at how Sue. i had so much fun but i remember martin vividly you know martin is one i don't think i would see it again anytime soon because it was kind of dirty but i do remember <laughs> it and i did thoroughly enjoy this movie. I'm not going to be like, you know what, I'm in the mood for I'm in the mood for Martin, you know? Zobbledy <laughs> <laughs> blah, you know? But I think, like, How Sue, it's more of a crowd pleaser. It's more of a, a fun movie to put on in the background and everybody enjoy, or even just watch and go, what the fuck? It's more adding to drinking games. Yeah. Um, so I think for the fact that I would have more fun with Haosu, I'm going to go for Heart. I'm going to go with Haosu. Wow, okay. I'm going to have to cross that one out. I was thought, here you go. Perfect. And so I'm gonna actually going to say the same thing. Um, I've seen Haosu in the theater. I haven't seen Martin in a theater. And for me, that's truly, it's again, the whole shared experience thing. I'd love to see Martin in a theater. I'd love to see that on 35 for like the late show. <laughs> We'd have to again, put a disclaimer. We'd yes. have to put those. No one under the two would be permitted without a parent to guardian. <laughs> and again, because I want to see how people react to that. Because yes. again, what a litmus test it <laughs> if is. If they don't get up and walk out in the first five minutes, they're in for a good ride. Exactly. So, so uh, just to compare, I'm going to have to say how soon just because of that shared experience. But um, yeah, just, but you have to be in a special mood, I think, for both. So, yeah, so now going from the heart to the head. If you got rid of one of these films, which one do you feel would leave 1977 poorer? So again, we're going to throw it out to you guys here. To me, that's a very easy one, and I think it's Martin. And one of the reasons is a little behind the scenes. At the time that he made that, George Romero was broke, uh, was on the verge of bankruptcy, and he didn't want to file bankruptcy. He didn't want to screw the people that supported him in the past. His The previous two movies were a, a failure. Uh, but his friends stuck with him. They made it. It did well enough that he could continue. If we had no Martin, there may no, not have been Dawn of the Dead. There may not have been Day of the Dead. Uh, so I think that it's... Uh, well, yeah. No, that makes that's complete a co- sense. That's Actually, a fucking that's, compelling argument I right there. That's like... <laughs> Good, I, I, was even, really I was even thinking that. like... I was even like, well, I might have to change my... I don't know. <laughs> and, I started and, scribbling in my insulin. Yeah, he's <laughs> right? like, point. oh shit. No. And, and really, Hazu, I mean, even if you counter that, I don't think it's <coughs> so much a product of 1977 because I don't think it was largely discovered till after that. Yeah. So the fact that it didn't, you know, I don't think it missing from 77 would affect yeah. much. That it, makes sense. That makes sense. I, what I, say I, you, Rich? I really can't add anything to that because I agree 100% with what he said. Uh, as my thought, too, is like, you know, you take Martin away, George Romero doesn't do. You know, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, you know, potentially, and then, you know, Creep Show, and then all of a sudden you're just, it's a domino effect after that. Now, the plus side is we wouldn't have films like Diary of the Dead. <laughs> oh, that was, yeah. That and was, what was it? Island, the Dead. Survival of the Dead. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah. we would definitely miss some classics along the way. So, that's agreed. Yeah, I would agree. Okay. So, another for Martin. Okay. So, <laughs> Hausu is visually 
a better film in my opinion just the color palette the special effects the all, all that and that being said martin is a better story and you don't need those special effects if you have a good story it's basically comes down to style versus substance and i would rather have the most heartiest of ugly meals versus the less filling of the most beautiful meals so for that being said I'm gonna have to go with Martin, and not even I'm, I'm not even considering the fact that Jeff made because that's a super poignant argument. But 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 those two arguments together, I have to go with Martin. Yeah, so. and that was all eloquently said, you guys. There, so <laughs> that was a beautiful. Nervous, I, I know all, all three of you there. Uh, that being said, yeah, for me, it goes down to again in terms of what we see internationally, because uh, it did take me a while to see how Sue, but also just to be able to see what other cultures bring to the horror film world and i really appreciate that just again seeing why it's so weird again what are we missing versus just one of the dirtiest romero stories we have <laughs> and just for just to give Hasu a shout out i'm gonna give Hasu a shout out but by the numbers here yeah. i think uh, for me this is kind of a big upset Martin Zombie Blast Zombie Martin Martin how you all been Okay so that being said that is going to then bring us to man I'm really excited I really thought Hasu was going to come through so I love the Romero love here <laughs> So that brings us to another bracket uh, beat down here and again another representation of Beauty and the Beast This time we have I already said it once Suspiria going up against Eaten Alive. And this one I think is interesting because this one also gives us some representations of some of the masters in horror. Uh, obviously Romero, huge in horror. Uh, this bracket gives us Toby Hooper and Dario Argento, which huge. So that being said, um, again, experiences uh, with who do you, what do we want to start with here? You go first this time, Richard. Yeah. Do, do why we, don't we? Why don't we just get in the muck and mire and start with eating alive? Ooh, so, <laughs> Let, let's get dirty and then yeah. we'll cleanse ourselves with. I can't say this yeah, experience. You got it. So, now I got to ask: Was this any of your first time seeing eaten alive? Okay, no, good. Okay. It was my first time. Okay, so my apologies because this <laughs> this is one as genius would say comes with a warning. So yeah, what'd you guys think on eating alive? <laughs> my you know uh yeah i definitely needed three showers and in a bath after that so um you know cheap it just came across as <laughs> as a as a as a dirty cheap five dollar whore of a film which uh, obviously given the nature of exactly, the film exactly. I mean, there was at least my two, name is buck exactly you know it's made on a soundstage right a very poorly lit one light bulb above you know which atmospheric to a point, but it it just I don't know. It just seemed cheap. It just and there's there's some crazy moments in this film that I'm, I'm st I still don't. Why did she wear a wig and why did she take off the wig? Was there a plot point? And what the hell was with the father? I know. It's like he's like he's the weirdest fucking dude. He's weird. She's taken off a wig, and you got little what's her name, uh, Kyle Richards. Oh yeah, future housewife. Two steps away from the Escape from Witch Mountain movies, and, and all of a Halloween. sudden, and now yeah, now she's like crawling around under a <laughs> under a house, getting eaten by an alligator. So. <laughs> I just um, now that it sounds like I I would hear that, and I'm like, what's wrong with that? That's well, fantastic. Exactly. Exactly. I, I don't know. There was just there was a <laughs> there was a, a, a dirtiness to this film that made me uncomfortable at times, and I think some of it um, 
Um, maybe it was when she got tied to the bed, you know, um, which again, in, in a given other movie, this would be something again. I'd be turning the dial on my black and white TV and watching it repeatedly. Here, I'm like, it just seemed, it just seemed. I don't know. Like, no, it's okay. Filthy, dirty, filthy, dirty. You felt you felt guilty watching this. I felt bad for for Carolyn Jones. You feel bad for the people you know, going that, through it. Wow, yeah. you had a mortgage payment apparently, <laughs> and and you had to be Miss Hattie, uh, Mel Ferrer, and and you know at Stuart Whitman and other, all these people that clearly had done better films they have it's a decent pedigree actually. Exactly, and again. You uh, Motel Hell, right? You've mm-hmm. got again. You've got was it uh, Rory Calhoun in that one? Yeah. You've got some of these people who are seen in other films. There was a fun to Motel Hell. Yeah. Um, here, this wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. I think if there would have been that, let's take this to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. <laughs> Dog will Gator will hunt. <laughs> Gator. If you throw in some of that craziness, Buck and, will fuck. And you, <laughs> You, what you get, it's uh, you, you can't. You'd have to laugh at it, right? It's like right. you're going to enjoy the ride. Here, I'm just like, I, I, I need to. You can't really group, group before any of these characters. No, there's no, there's nobody likable yeah. in this film, and, and not uh, even the alligator because you don't get a chance to see him or crocodile. Well, technically, yeah, he's a crocodile. Crocodile, yeah. right? I mean, you don't. If we could have maybe seen a little bit more of him, and maybe his 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 murders were a little more compelling. He's more of a garbage disposal than anything. He is. He unfortunately, is. yeah, yeah. And then you know, I will say, what was the 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 Judd the main Neville character? Brand? Yes, oh, is Judd. He to me, he's the the he's thing that saves this film. I will say his performance was hopefully a performance. Hopefully, <laughs> right? And action. Oh, the camera's rolling. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think. Yeah, it was interesting watching him, but again, it, it there was a point where it's like I'm getting uncomfortable watching mm-hmm. this guy. And I think it was when he tied the chick to the bed, and she's just there for the next 45 minutes while he's like trying to kill the daughter underneath the house, and it just there was just a, an uncomfortable level to this film. Do you think Toby Hooper? I mean, this is right after Texas mm-hmm. Chainsaw, and. It's to me, it's similar in a way. I mean, Texas Chainsaw's dirty. I mean, it's got more redeeming qualities, but uh, so I don't know. It, it seems like more of the same yet at a lower level. I don't know. I had, I'd read somewhere that that Hooper was didn't even finish filming. He left for some reason, and someone uh, finished directing it. Spielberg it, so, stepped in. It, I, <laughs> Don't think so. I, Head just, toward the swamp, Caroline. It, it's weird to me. It just seems <laughs> yeah. like uh, no, I, either he's stepping back, and I don't know if that's his limitation or whatever constraints he was under. But I mean, very disappointing follow-up to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where you would hope with the next movie they'd move forward rather than being sucked down and moving back. You can almost consider it Hooper light in some aspects in terms of what he initially started with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and then transitioned to this. And that's the thing is, the specter of that is kind of hanging over the, this film in terms of your sophomore. What do, you fo- what do you follow up with after that film? What was the budget on this film compared to... $10. Well, <laughs> that's being generous. You would, now, of course, what was the you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where was it at you know in, in film lore at that point? We're a couple years removed... Had it reached 
The height? I don't think so. No, probably not. Not near so. That's probably why then he had a much lesser budget with this film. Now, of course, we look back and say, well, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the all-time classics. You know, And why no one, when you say Eaten Alive, everyone goes, wait, who? who? What? what? Exactly. Because, I mean, when this movie came out, he was, he was you know, again, a mortgage payment. Right. And was probably given the film. And so we look at it now thinking, well, why didn't he have a bigger follow-up? Well, back then it was like Texas Chainsaw hadn't been a hit. So he was just kind of continuing on and doing, you know, the next thing that came along. And so. that's, I mean, that's the ethos of indie film at the time was you just, you did what you had to do. Yeah. And sometimes it came out fantastic. Yeah. And then sometimes. Now I'm going to agree yeah, with what you say, but I'm also going to disagree. Um, yes, this movie is dirty. Yes, this movie has made me uncomfortable. And uh, wait, hold on. Let <laughs> let that soak in for a second, ladies and gentlemen. It, it really did. It made me uncomfortable. Um, the whole now this was butt fuckery at the very beginning with Buck, right? Um, so <laughs> again, I really hope Alistair isn't every listening. Time, right? <laughs> I told him, don't let the little monster out listen to this. No, but um, this movie affected and scared me yeah. in a way that movie has not done in a long time. Now that's at what point? When did you see it? Um, a month ago? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so it was terrifying to me. The whole veneer of the dirty, cheap aspect made it look real. Um, the filming of it... The, the torture that this that Judd put the little girl, Marilyn Burns, all these other people through, that's truly the evil of men. And to me, and this is going to sound super blasphemous what I'm about to say, I not to say that I've seen Texas Chainsaw so many times it's old hat, but seeing something new from Toby Hooper like this, I almost liked it better. It just because the way it hit me, the way it affected me, the way the the scene where he is chasing the little girl. And yeah, the gator is cheap, but it provides really good jump scares and atmosphere of the whole peripheral dread where it's Judd is the main mm -hmm. killer going after doing all these horrible things. And the gator is just doing what it's supposed to do. It's just doing what it needs to do. But the fact that it's right there after the little girl. While Judd is also after the little girl, while she's hiding and she's afraid, the mom is tied up, the dad is dead, everybody's gone insane. Um, <laughs> it was terrifying to the point where I physically like was shaking. Just I was so like nervous. I was like, Gah! I'm screaming in my own house watching this movie, freaking the fuck out. Um, I had such a good time at this movie, and I think <laughs> I did. I think if you can get past the uh, whole. Uh, diddling at the beginning the whole insanity through it i mean if you can get past the cheap thing and just immerse yourself in something creepy dirty and scary um this is a f wonderful film to me and i would tell any fan of texas chainsaw master to go see eaten alive and eaten alive you can check out on shutter right now so yes. make sure to yeah. check it out because it's and in fact all these movies i think for just a lot of 77s we were able to pick up on shutter which was fantastic no it's I agree. It's one of those, again, it's the hidden Hooper film. It's the one that no one knows about, but it also can, for some, yeah. be that nice surprise. But I can also see why it can <coughs> take people off, because it is just more of the same, but at a lower level. But it's, like yeah. you said, it heightens it. Yeah. So I can definitely understand that. No, this is just, it's a dirty film. I'm going to throw this one out to you, just in terms of seeing Judd as kind of a conservative think uh like point oh hey kitty kitty oh did you mess up the 
No, it, Kitty was just all yeah. of it. I think this is actually the spirit of Hao Su sending a cat <laughs> after us for dismissing it from the... Come here, Kitty. Well, yeah, we're speaking just, 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 technical cat difficulties. We'll be right back. No, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, you know how a lot of the conservative groups in the 80s uh, saw a lot of slasher films as pro-conservative just in terms of the killers offing off the people that were having sex and doing the drugs? Do you see any those kind of like themes in this film in terms of... Um, Neville as uh, Judd being just kind of like, like an angel that, of vengeance, like of, a harbinger, if you will, with the scythe, which would be kind of appropriate for death, yeah. right? Um, I think he's, because look at the uh, the people that are well, no, I think he's I think he's a good case for how we can use better mental health facilities. <laughs> I think he's a very good case for like soldiers with PTSD because he kept yelling about how the major, right? I think he, I think I wouldn't say he's a champion of conservative rights, I think he's definitely. A champion of like the effect better health care yeah. needing, you know. But like, yeah, that I would. Makes sense. Yeah. There may have been a little, if you think of this time, there was like a, it was the post Vietnam era, right? Yeah, and so and, there may have been a little bit of that by by making those war references. There, you know? And there's also if there was a. Uh, Kind of throwaway lines, but the mom was really hippy dippy. Marilyn Burns yeah. was very like, "Hey, let's take some Valium and blah blah blah." And the dad was just unhinged. <laughs> and I think it was also because like I come back and and now you're wearing the pants and blah 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 blah. It was like he was having an identity crisis, yeah. knowing that he was basically helpless, finding his daughter, taking care of these things, um, making sure that the family dog doesn't get eaten by the gator. He was basically <laughs> emasculated and he didn't know how to react. Um, so I think. I don't know if it's a champion of, like I said, I don't know if it's a champion of conservative, like the avenging angel, yeah. but I just think it is somewhat of a societal thing, like of all, of, of coming back from the war. Coming home, you know, you know the transition. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, so. this is what happens. So, yeah, interesting perspectives uh, on eating alive, just in terms of the first time. So, now that being said, take a little over. I'm going to cue some music. Okay, so this next movie we're going to talk about, this is the one where it's basically on a lot of people's Horror Essential 101s. Um, it's one of those ones where you're not like you're chastised if you haven't seen it, but if you say, oh, I've never seen it, then you're like, oh, really? You really need to check it out. Of course, we're talking about Suspiria. So we're going to throw it out there to you guys. Suspiria, what are your thoughts? So now I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself because the <laughs> the reasons I didn't like Hazu are why I love Suspiria, uh, and the logic. Yeah, I I don't know. I I it makes a certain amount of sense to me when people say it doesn't and there's no logic. I I kind of understand it. Yeah, it, it connects I get it me. Too. But as far as mood and atmosphere, and yeah, if you wanted the colors and the music and all that, but there are scenes in that that are just so tense and so uncomfortable that's the closest i come to physically feeling terror i guess wow um and it's just the the right combination of all the qualities that went into making particular scenes of that movie uh, i think is just about as effective as anything i've seen Seeing a better print of this one was, was, was a huge plus. Uh, you know, and when I, I always kind of felt like I'm missing something. You know, I'm watching this bad print. I need to go back and rewatch this. I need to get a better print. And so I'm thankful that that we did this, and this is one of the films because it finally said, okay, I need to sit down and watch it. And thankful that it was actually an incredible print on YouTube for free. Thank you, YouTube. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this one, you know, the the, the music and, and the visual experience is what pulls me in. Again, mm -hmm. 
outside of of you know okay i guess jessica harper's done some other stuff and and fan of paradise mm-hmm. yeah and udo kier you know you kind of recognize him but again you're looking at a lot of people you you, you know again they're just kind of a little off kilter anyway <laughs> but you don't recognize them and so it pulls you into this really crazy ass film with this this incredible soundtrack and and a kind of a compelling story you know it's like okay how many witches movies have we seen um but this one to me is like it was truly terrifying this is like you're scared you know this wasn't a you bet middler going off and, and singing at the local prom <laughs> this was this was the, the kind of witch you don't want to run into in a dark alley yeah more angelica houston it, yeah the, well yeah yeah and- a little bit <laughs> No, there's uh, just in terms of the praise that you, people heap upon this film. I think this is one where this is another one where the hyperbole can twist it because this is another one that I've had the experience of seeing twice uh, in the theater on a crazy 35 millimeter print. Um, the first time it was unknown, it was uh, one of the uh, uh, Dismember the Alamo events, the marathons, and it was fantastic. But the the people around me hated the film hated it just hardcore and i was like okay i can understand that and it's one of those films i get why people it's i understand why right mm-hmm. they yeah. don't under they don't like it but at the same time i am a fan of the film this is a movie to me hearkening uh, back to one of my previous arguments for how sue of the style versus the substance i think this movie delivers on both style and substance there is definitely a really yeah. good story a good feeling of dread a good atmospheric and then not only the fact that it's beautiful it's the the music hits right the color palette the the scenes um, one of the most striking scenes to me in this movie is when he's walking in the courtyard and you just you see the big black sky with one moon and then the whole courtyard just this bright stark green. Yeah. luciano tavoli shot this film it was a style and substance beauty and Brutality. So yeah. you you mentioned Jeff that you don't necessarily the logic works for you because to me this film really starts the minute she steps outside of the airport and you're bathed in the blue. It's it's almost like Weary Wizard of Ozzy. Mm-hmm. It's like when she steps into Oz, everything is colorful. When she steps into this world of the witch, it's. Can you match this up with Dark Side of the Moon, Suspiria? <laughs> Probably more along the lines of the wall. Of the wall, yeah. <laughs> Adam Hart Mother. King Crimson, something like that, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the score. We do have it playing in the background. Um, this is one of those films that I think, and then, again, the way I saw it in 35, they had the volume cranked. Yeah. And so it was punishing, but in the best way, because the way Goblin works, and I love it going to sound like Michael Bolton. I celebrate their entire catalog, uh, but I really dig what, a lot of what they do, and I love the fact that they've actually gone around and they're touring live, kind of like what oh, Carpenter yeah. does. It's so bombastic, that bum 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 Yeah, so, and then just adjust. Does that add to the unsettling nature for you? Because you mentioned how the terror that it brings out. Yeah, definitely. In fact, that's the note I have of that scene is the music and then the terrifying feeling. So, yeah. And what about you? What about the music? Oh, yeah. I think the, the music makes the film entirely. Um, uh, I think if you take the music out of the film, mm-hmm. you'd still have a compelling movie, but it's not going to punch you in the face. Yeah. you know. Uh, and so I think that, and it's iconic because I think people have probably heard this music 
mm-hmm. before they've even seen the film. Right. And so I think if if you know for you know now I knew that the music was with the film. So, but I think someone might sit down and watch this movie for the first time, and be like, oh wait a minute, I've I've heard this song, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. And then I think I think in some cases that would pull you out of the moment. I think in this movie it will suck you into the moment because now all of a sudden. Oh, this is the this is the movie that that song came from, and it would it would it would pull you in, and all of a sudden I want to know more. You know, I want to know what this music's about. Now, how do you guys think this fares up against some of the other Jalo movies? I'm you know that's a weak genre for me. Um, I, I I have a hard time getting into them. And um, a couple years ago, Dread Media. Uh, Des did a a, a Giallo Christmas. That was his that was his Christmas theme month. <laughs> And he told me, he says, totally up to you if you want to participate. If not, I was like, wow, this is tough. Because I said, this is a genre that I have tried several times to get into, and I can't. Um, that said, you know, I, I said, okay, I'll dive into it. And um, I'm drawing a blank on, on a couple of the films I did. One of them, of course, I, I saw was Phenomena. Right? Uh, yeah, another mm-hmm. Argento um, classic. Exactly. And I appreciated the genre for the first time. And I think it was... Um, I wish I could remember the names of the, of the films I saw, but they were they were good, you know. And I was like, okay, I'm willing to give this genre maybe a, more of a try. Give me some suggestions, you know. And um, I, I think this stands out as 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 you know, if you're going to introduce the the genre to somebody, this probably needs to be one of the first steps they take, if not the first movie, one of the first two or three at least, because there's a lot of other films in that genre that are tough to, to, to engage, quirky, repetitious at times. And so I, I think this would be almost like Giallo 101, right? Yeah. This needs it's, to be at the It's list. a daunting kind of genre because it is one that is very divisive for a lot of people. I was thinking about this earlier today, though. Is it... Yes, I know it's Giallo, but it has the supernatural aspect of the witches. And right, which... Does that make it different than most Giallo? I think it does, because Giallo, for the most part, is like just slashers. someone in gloves, yeah, yeah. cutting yeah. you with scissors and what have you. No, it's... Uh, but yeah, no, it's just in terms of everything that this movie is, if you say Suspiria, you think of the visuals, you think of the red, you think of the blue, you think of the music, uh, you think, yeah, of course, you know, um, Jessica Harper, just... She's beautiful. Fantastic yeah. in this film. Um I, again, just seeing it in 35, bringing it out, it's fantastic. Uh, the International Influence, again, this is another film that we're looking at from an international director. Do you think we lose something in translation, horror aspect-wise? I don't think in this case, because it is so much just about the mood. and It's about the emotion more than the story. So, I, I don't think... I, Some, no, I would agree, yeah. I think sometimes dubbed films pull me out of the moment mm-hmm. you know and and sometimes it's because it's so poorly done sometimes it just i always want to you know if i'm going to see a film i want to see it in its original language i'm okay with subtitles yeah you know very rarely do i want to see a film that 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 is dubbed um but this is one that i, I you know i don't think i don't think you lose anything in translation because again this movie is all about the visual experience <laughs> with the music and then you've got the substance under that layer, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that makes it kind of the, the perfect picture. Well, the thing that's always thrown throw me when you watch these films is they have people that will be speaking their native language, but then you overdub them in English. So there's just so much of it never matches, which is when you're growing up, you don't, it just adds well, to Well, then hell, they have some people speaking English and then they dub them in English. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, yeah. 
And that's the other thing I think with Argento is there's really no hand-holding when it comes to this film. You either get it because you're thrust right into it or you don't. And so I think that those of us that enjoy it are luckier for it. Yeah, so I agree. Let's go ahead and let's throw these two head-to-head. Through the ringer! So again, we're going to look at which one is closer to the heart and then closer to the <coughs> head. So we're starting the nostalgia feel. So we'll throw it open to you guys. What do you feel? From a nostalgia standpoint, again, I consider these both almost first-time views. Uh, but I had a little bit of history with Suspiria. I'm going to say Suspiria. Um, I, I just think that Suspiria has left a bigger, bigger impact on me. Um, you know, eaten alive. There were moments <laughs> that I enjoyed it, but it was a tougher film to get through. And and watching this good print of Suspiria, I mean, it, I, I I enjoyed the ride. You know. Uh, I, I was like, I, I felt dirty for being on the Eaten Alive ride. I was like, I hope nobody sees me. <laughs> uh, I'm like hiding under the seat and it's like putting putting a you know a, a mustache and a hat on. You it's got like, an overcoat, exactly. And like Groucho glasses. No one's gonna know I've seen this. <laughs> and here I am, you know, on the podcast talking about it. Um, and my name is Jeff Owens, <laughs> and um, I've seen so- Eaten Alive. <laughs> Damn. Under the bus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Suspiria definitely would be the nostalgic. Jeffy just got fed at the Gator, man. I know, I know it. <laughs> yeah, definitely Suspiria, just because of its reputation, its history. Growing up as a horror fan, you know of Suspiria, even if, well, if you hadn't seen it, you certainly were trying to see it. So definitely eaten alive. Now I, I, I'm still trying to get Richard. I know it's dirty and all of that, but did you? Does that mean you just didn't like it at all? Could this be a guilty pleasure, you know, eventually? When you want to feel dirty, because sometimes you just want to feel dirty. I agree with everything you said, and I'm not saying (coughs) I like it, but I don't dislike it because of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't hate it, all right? Uh, Let's say that. Um, There's a part of me that that really doesn't like Haosu, but I'm willing to give it a second try. Um, I didn't hate Eatin' Alive. It's just a movie that I didn't enjoy. Um, And I wouldn't... I don't think that I missed anything. Whereas, like, I'll acknowledge maybe I missed something on Hasu. I'll give it another shot. I think I pretty much got the gist of, of eating alive. <laughs> I don't think there's any like hidden subtext that I'm missing. And so I can say I've seen it. Check it off the list. Not going to rewatch it. Good. So, genius. I am going to say, if you have not seen Suspiria, you really need to see Suspiria. It's a wonderful horror movie. It's a great uh, category of style and substance. But goddamn, I had such a good time with Eating Alive. For heart, I have to go Eating Alive just because... I haven't had because you know we see a yeah. lot of movies and you know sometimes I'll get into it and I start stroking the beard <laughs> and I like jump scares get me but I felt terror and dread so much at eating alive and I'm just sitting by myself in my house you know so I had such a good time with this movie filthy dirty and I myself am filthy and dirty but I just had such a really fun scary time. With eating alive, so for heart, I have to go eating alive. I applaud you for that. And for me, again, it comes down to the whole shared experience thing. Seeing Suspiria a couple times in the theater with a the crowd, haven't experienced eating alive with a crowd. Which again, kind of like seeing want to see what it's like seeing Martin with a crowd. Seeing a, just a <laughs> that filthy... would be the dirtiest double feature ever. <laughs> like Creeps and Nostalgia present Martin and then eating alive. The first three rows will get wet. And so, <laughs> and unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to see that. So I, for me, it goes that bad. Back to Suspiria. So that being said, let's think instead of the heart, then with the head, 
which film would leave 1977 poor if you took away Suspiria or Eaten Alive? And again, I'm going to lay it to you guys here. I think I might know the answer to what they're going to say. Actually, I'm a little more... This is a tougher one for me because... uh, There's a lot of Argento. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't know that the absence of... Um, Suspiria. I hadn't. Oh, uh, that was horrible. I shouldn't have even tried. Sorry. <laughs> Whisper it out. Suspiria. Yeah. There we go. There All right. Uh, I don't know that the absence of it would have been felt, and if he wouldn't have developed that later, because he's. I mean, that's smack dab in the middle, if not early in his career, for doing all of that. Eaten alive. Yeah, no one's gonna miss it if it's not there. But <laughs> it, I don't know. Uh. I, I got to go with Suspiria, but okay. I, I don't no, think I, it's a, such a clear-cut choice. I, I like the fact that you were giving us the tension. I felt <laughs> like I was good. in Suspiria. Because <laughs> right, it is a, it is a lesser-known Hooper, and uh, honestly, without it, we don't know where we would go. We might not have gotten, oh, my God, if we wouldn't have gotten Life Force. Oh, forget about it. Oh, yeah. no. No, 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 no. That would have no. been awful. Well, and look at the reaction you had. I mean... You know, we're depriving other people of that reaction. Mm-hmm. If that, even if it's today, that they're when you have your screening, be sure to let us know when that is. <laughs> um, you know, I think it it could be missed. You can make an argument for that. That's the beauty of all these films. Is yeah, you can make an argument for every single <laughs> yeah, film. I'll be honest. I'm better off for for watching for seeing this for Isini yeah, live. I absolutely. Mean, but you know, um, okay. So you take take this film from Toby Hooper. You take Eaten Alive away. Do we get Salem's Lot? A couple years later. Uh, Ooh, that, that kid in the window. I could, <laughs> I could do I could without him, too. Yep. Yes, I yep. could do without him. Salem's Lot, though, is 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 a classic. Right? It's and, terrifying. And it's terrifying. The question is, though, how big of an impact did Eaten Alive make? And and would that have right. really, truly kept him from doing Salem's Lot? No. I don't think a lot, because no. I, don't, I don't think Eaten Alive was necessarily a huge blockbuster hit. Um Suspiria, it's the first part of the of the trilogy of films about the three mothers. The three mothers, uh, which I I now I want to see Inferno and, and Mother of Tears, which I've heard Inferno has one of the greatest themes ever by Goblin. It's fantastic. You'll I, enjoy I, it. Actually, I've heard it. I've heard it's, it. Yeah, and I've never seen the film. So <laughs> you take this away, then you don't get the other two, right? This is tough. I mean, this, this we're going to have a little Sophie's Choice here. I, I yeah, I don't. You know, I. I'm I'm going to I'm going to say, eaten alive though may have made the bigger impact because I you know I got a feeling that Salem's Lot might there's maybe a chance that Salem's Lot might not have happened. Dario Argento had enough other films. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I think that would have happened. I think you take Salem's Lot out. I you know you look at all the the Stephen King adaptations, right? Yeah, Salem's Lot's one of the best. Yeah. Really, if you if based you know what the book is, what the what the four hour miniseries was, um, y- you know you look at some of the other things that he did around that time. I mean, there was Carrie, obviously, but then you know Shining, vastly different than the book, very much so. And then you get into it's it's a roller coaster ride of what's what's good and what's what's a joke, and and it gets progressively worse. 
with the occasional Green Mile and and Sleepwalkers, you know, Sleepwalkers, Shawshank Redemption <laughs> thrown in, Stand by Me, <laughs> Maximum Overdrive. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's, hey, it's, I love Maximum Overdrive. That movie's great. I would say eat, I'm gonna eat in alive. I'll, wow, I, I was like not it. expecting that. I, I mean, like that. For something like, oh, you didn't hate it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I got to acknowledge that. I think I think it left a footprint. And that's that's the beauty of it. The fact that it did leave such a you know lasting image on you. That's that's the beauty of these films. And I'm glad that you got to experience that for the first time. So. Genius, what are you going to say here? This is hard. I mean, this really, really is because I was going into this saying, okay, for heart, it's going to be eaten alive. For head, it's going to be Suspiria. But then I started thinking about it. Like, what would we be remiss without? Uh, on one hand, you have an underseen movie, a very underseen decisive movie with Eaten Alive. Um, but on the other hand, you have uh, Horror 101 with with uh, uh, Suspiria, I couldn't. I almost said phenomenon uh, with Suspiria. So it's really, really, really difficult. I think, I think because just because Suspiria is more beloved, more people can say yes, I liked that movie as opposed to Eaten Alive, saying that was a very decisive decisive versus something mm-hmm. that universally allotted whether you hate it or not i think more people are going to enjoy suspiria um and i think if we didn't have eaten alive we would still have texas chainsaw yeah um and hopefully we would have salem's lot and <laughs> hopefully uh, thank goodness we we will have life force and we will have all this but i think we would be remiss we would be if you don't have suspiria you might not let enough people be turned on to an entire genre so that the being the international, point. that point. being said, I'm gonna have to go with Suspiria. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's very much your passport to yeah. other other genres, and you're literally thinking basically what I had in my notes. Where I mean, you you say Argento, people say <coughs> Suspiria. That's the first thing that comes out for the most of them. You say Hooper, the first thing out of their mouth is not eaten alive. Right. And based on that, unfortunately, I am gonna go with Suspiria. I, so that being said, based on numbers alone, Suspiria is besting it. But you know what? I'm, but Eaten Alive put up a really good fight. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really proud of Eaten Alive on that movie. So that was a lot of fun, you guys. Uh, thank you for going through the ringer with us on that one. Mm-hmm. That was more strenuous than I thought. And I'll be honest, Martin was a big surprise for me. So I, I really did think Shivers was gonna, or no, Rabbit was gonna. I still like Shivers. I was really <laughs> think. <laughs> I really thought um, that Rabbit would take 77, yeah. at least I, the bottom bracket. I, but, 77 has been probably the but one But I'm glad Martin came out. I really am. i got to say so, this about Rabbit is that I, I didn't pay attention to the cast, and I'm sitting through this entire film. I was like, where have I seen this actress before? Oh, was it behind <laughs> a green door? Well, and then I get to the, the end crowd. I was like, oh, my God. So for like now, 90 minutes, I'm I know those trying, boobs. I, like, I know like, those boobs. I've seen this chick before, and then it's like <laughs> I have that moment of realization, and I was like, now I need to go back and rewatch this because now it changes the whole tone of the film. I, I'm Thank you, you, Cronenberg. Early Cronenberg is the best Cronenberg to me. I, I love early because he's at his creepiest at that point. Yeah. It's fantastic. So now, you guys, this was so much fun. And, um, and please remember our arguments on Martin in the next round. And mm-hmm. if you need to restate that, I give you permission. Excellent. <laughs> um, where can we find you guys again? Classichorrors.club for me uh, individually podcast downright creepy phantom podcast network 
Uh, well, blog, uh, monstermoviekid.wordpress.com or kccinephile.com. <laughs> Honestly, guys, it was a lot of fun talking to you. I mean, and don't get us wrong, for all the people we've talked to on Skype, yeah. we had a good time. But having you guys in here in, in studios. A lot of fun. It was, was a lot of fun. Thanks yes, for inviting thank us. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. And we're not now going on Skype because we are going to be Skyping with our next right. guest. Right. Yeah, not, not to get Skype, but <laughs> yeah. It, it, was, it, was good. it was cool to have you guys here. From four, we go to two films. And uh, yeah, no, actually, we're going to be talking with one of the co-hosts from the Cinemux po- Cinepunks podcast and the Horror Business podcast. When we come back, we will be joined by Leo O'Donnell. Again, you guys, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Suspiria. <laughs> we'll be back. Hey, listeners, you're listening to Nightmare Junkhead. With Genius McGee and Greg D. I'm G. Saul Guerrero from Lucha Gore Productions. Ah! Gore is love, baby. All right, gang, we are back, and we have washed the filth off of four dirty horror classic from the 1970s. Really dirty. And we will be washing even further, and to help us out, gang, uh, we brought, we're bringing in another very, very special guest here. Uh, you can hear our next guest. He can be heard waxing philosophical on movies and music and all of the connective tissue that goes on in between and if you're a horror fan well he's got you covered with that as well he is the co-host of the cinepux podcast and the horror business podcast and another one that i'll let him talk to you about uh welcome to nightmare junkhead for the first time liam o'donnell liam thanks for taking the time out to talk with us man how are you Hey, how you guys doing? What's going on? Good to uh, virtually meet you. Yes, I know. It's always awkward that first time. It uh, feels like we're in like that Denzel Washington virtuosity film. <laughs> better sure, than, sure, sure. Better than Existence, I guess. Yeah, we could go Cronenberg, which would make everything really awkward. Uh, but no, before we get into anything, uh, please use this time. Tell our listeners where they can find you out on the interwebs. Uh, plug, promote, anything that you want to go ahead and put out there. All right. Oh, that's great. Uh, well, so you mentioned uh, Cinepunks and Horror Business. I, those are like my main deal if you go to Cinepunks. So that's uh, for folks uninitiated. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. X. That's right. X. I said it. Uh, dot com. Um, and Cinepunks is, is basically a kind of like all-purpose culture website uh, where we have a variety of podcasts. I'm on two of those podcasts. So it started just me and my friend Josh doing Cinepunks, and it was like two, you know, hardcore punk guys from the Philly scene talking about movies, you know. And uh, the the show wasn't really about music. It sort of became partly about music because that's also what we talk about when we're not talking about movies. (laughs) But that wasn't like our goal per se. And then over time, we just started adding shows until we became – kind of a network of shows as well as a blog uh which again the blog originally was just for me i wanted to write i write sometimes for uh that website synapse uh, uh c-i-n-a-p-s-e dot c-o uh and and i was like well i want to do some writing for my own what if i have my own site i might as well do some writing for it and then of course as happens all i'm doing is edit. i don't write hardly anything <laughs> and i just host other people's writing on there but um i'm also co-host of I, whenever i do a guest on someone else's podcast i always talk about my john but i should also mention uh, as you hinted to that i'm also co-host on 
Eric Roberts is the fucking man with uh, Doug Tilly, who people might know from uh, No Budget Nightmares podcast as well. And uh, the thing is, with the other shows that I co-host, I also edit them. I put them up. Like, that's my deal. Like, those are my shows, even though they're not just my shows. They're like my shows with friends. The Eric Roberts show, that's Doug's show. I'm just his lackey. I am his <laughs> American lackey, and he just gets me on the internet from Canada and makes fun of me, and we talk about Eric Roberts and have a guest on. I actually, I admire that so much. Yeah. Number one, just the fact that you put yourself out there on so many different podcasts, but they're all so unique individually. Just mm-hmm. going from, because I really love the fact that, so yeah, I guess actually to get things started, I was initially turned on to your podcast from a mutual friend, uh, Nick Spacek. Oh, right, right. Oh, Nick is the best. I would lo- We love Nick. Uh, yeah. If you've uh, listened Nick's to the podcast, yeah, he's on for our Fright Night episode. But he had mentioned, he's like, you know, he hit us up on Twitter. And I was like, holy shit, we have someone that actually listens to us. <laughs> and we started going, going back and forth. And he's like, you know what? You really need to check out this podcast called Cinepunks. And he said, they remind me a lot of you guys. And so, and so immediately I was like, oh, okay. And I got really nervous (laughs) because it's like, oh, wait a minute. Well, let's, I wonder what Cinepunks sounds like. And then I listened to you guys and I will just straight up loved it instantly because one of the things in terms of, again, being the podcast listener of the duo here with Genius, you know, not being, uh, you know, good chemistry between the host and then just a genuine love of what they're talking about. And just instantly with you and Josh on there, I was just like, holy shit. It felt like. Not necessarily that I've known you guys forever, but just the the easiness, the way you guys communicated, it just instantly clicked with me. So I was ever since then I've been a listener, and so Thank it's, you. It, I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, of course, of course. And so I just like the fact that we live in this age now that not only is I you know can listen to this podcast, but fortunately we can have you Interact, on here yeah, yeah. and have you with our it's the whole cross pollination thing that i really oh, like oh yeah yeah and you guys have been very supportive and we just love that again for us you know and this is sort of the weird space that we're in if it wasn't for folks like you and nick we wouldn't really have like podcast familiar people who knew like our audience are mostly people who straight up tell us that they've never fucking listened to a podcast before like they don't even know like we've had i've had people like text me like yo how do i listen to that thing you do and i'm like (laughs) oh jesus all right so like we don't we don't pull a large like already plugged into podcast audience so the fact that some other folks who are doing this like reached out and were like yo check us out and we've been able to share back and forth it's like it's really nice and it's people are very patient with us because like uh if there's any internet connecting going on directly from cinepunks it's just me trying to figure it out because josh is a luddite and doesn't know how to work the internet (laughs) and lure now is on top of it with the horror business uh twitter like he's really active but at first it was like i was trying to do it all myself and then slowly he got sort of into it so um i really appreciate those dudes like they are i couldn't do it without them and whatever but when it comes to that stuff at first i was just lost because like I'm sort of saying that I'm the technical one in this group is saying that we're not very technically savvy because I like I'm just (laughs) figuring shit out as it goes, you know, but uh, but knowing that like, oh, hey, we put this episode out and someone far away, although I will say this too, I'm I'm being very positive, but I also have to talk shit on you guys because I'm so jealous of your live at the whatever where you are format. Oh, oh the, the the Monday Mr. Movie Nights. Yeah, so cool. Like, we have no... The thing about Philly, Philly is awesome in many ways, but it does not have a robust sort of film community. And so there's mm-hmm. a few places that we can go, but there's no, like, easy places. And 
for those people who actually listen to the show know, I had to move out of the city. So now it's harder for me to get to the city and, and, and do stuff. So it's harder to do like live events and things like that. So every time I see y'all posting about your live events, I'm always like, God damn, Kansas City gets all this cool <laughs> shit. What's God damn it. Like I get so bad. It, uh, it we'll be the first to admit we're very fortunate with right? that. Maybe we could do like a traveling road show where we go, we can go to Philadelphia. The gang puts on a film fest. Do, 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 do. <laughs> it writes itself with the tomfoolery and shenanigans that could employ from there. I don't yeah, know. I mean, the, the thing is, there are people who do it, but like in Philly, it's like a real underdog. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the, there, you know, there's a place called Philomoca that does cool stuff, but it's like, it's not a theater. It's like a punk space or Exum films does a lot of screenings, but they had mm-hmm. to like work for a long time to get a spot at uh, a place that used to be called international house. And now it's called Lightbox. But like, for example, like if you wanted to show film, you have Lightbox and you have the prince and that's it. There's like no other 35 millimeter projectors in the fucking city. And this is like one of the bigger cities in the country. Like, how is that a possibility? And I think it's just, for whatever reason, Philly just hasn't really developed that kind of film culture. Now, on the plus side, that means the few programmers who are there are like super tenacious underdogs who work really hard and do amazing shit. But it's not the actual ecology of it. The actual environment of it is real limited and real hard. Yeah, but I do think, like you said, if they're kind of sowing the seeds, then mm-hmm. eventually yep. with a lot of – and that's the thing, though. You need so much support. Yeah, and like you said, areas. We're, we're fortunate and lucky. Yeah, and, we really yeah. are just in terms yeah. of the opportunities we have based on the theaters here. So we never give that – you know, mm-hmm. we never take that for granted. <laughs> Taking a special shout-out to all those who support us <laughs> coming out to stuff. So. Absolutely. But you, what I really liked, especially with Cinepunks, is um, just in terms of when you guys were recording at like the comic shops, the, the coffee shops, yeah. and so forth. Tell me. How did uh, just in terms of your involvement in Cinepunk start and how has everything progressed? You know, what's the origin story with your, sure. your podcast origins? Well, I don't know about I don't know what y'all's sort of uh, music <laughs> history is. But for for me and Josh, we both kind of came from the same scene, uh, which is, you know, kind of like broadly construed hardcore punk. But like it, it was interesting to us immediately when we started hanging out again that like we kind of grew up in the same area in the same scene, but then also had our own kind of different tastes and different experiences just because of a little bit of age difference and a little bit of like interest difference. Um, but when we first started going to shows going, getting into punk and hardcore was like, uh, it, there was a whole cultural cachet that went with it. It wasn't just the music. There was a bunch of other stuff that people were interested in that you would hear about, like whether that was VHS trading culture, uh, a lot of a lot of the early sort of videos that you would call viral now, but like they were just like popular over VHS networks. Punks had those, you know, like that's where I heard about that. Even like art film, you would hear about from other like people involved in music, and there was that. Uh, enjoying other alternative weird art forms was part of being part of the scene. And I don't think that's true anymore. In my interaction with younger core folk, uh, they tend to be pretty normal outside of their musical taste. And, uh, and that was, uh, that was a strange thing for us. We also, at the same time, like me and Josh have known each other since way back in the day, but we got to be close friends because we both sort of coincidentally joined the Philadelphia film society at the same time, nice. which, uh, is, was a decision we regretted and uh <laughs> we when, when we joined we started going to stuff and we realized we were the only young people and i define young loosely like we didn't start going to we were like 
both in our 30s. I think I had just turned 30. And so uh, we're in our 30s. We're the youngest people there. No one has tattoos. Like, no one is involved in, in any sort of alternative culture. And they just want to do all this Hollywood shit where it's like the best use of a film society is not to prop up the part of film culture that can pay for itself. And, right. and don't get me wrong. Like, I love mainstream i'm not over here like being some sort of like film elitist but like if you're gonna put resources behind something it should be independent it should be something that you that needs that support and so for us we were finding that on one hand there wasn't the same interest in film culture in the community that we were already a part of and as we tried to become more part of one particular film community that was available to us uh it, it wasn't welcoming at all meanwhile when we went to other things that were not the film society exhumed or stuff at Philomoca, there were a lot of people like us there and so we thought there's an audience there's a niche there's a place and the more we thought about it the more we saw connections between um the way that people think and the way that we think about cinema mm-hmm, and the way yeah. that we think about music and so mm-hmm. We just had this idea, and we were trying to initially actually start a website with writing, and we both realized, like, I, I mean, I still write sometimes, but but both me and Josh actually enjoy talking more than writing, and, and that's <laughs> – I've been on a writing – I've had a writer's block for, like, almost a year now. Like, I've only written a couple things this past year. So, like, uh, we just thought, like, well, let's start with a podcast first. So it started as this, like, low-fi – like, I had never recorded – like I knew about sound from doing punk shows. Like how do you set up a fucking PA? Right, but that's right. it. I had never recorded. I had never edited. I had never hosted anything on the internet. All that shit we figured out. Now, on one hand, that's great. It's a real DIY ethic with Cinepunks. And that's like why we've recorded in so many different locations with so many different methods. But it also means that like if you are hearing this for the first time and you go to check out Cinepunks and, you know, we've got 62 episodes, a few of those episodes are don't sound good. And that's just the reality of like doing it ourselves with no money and trying to figure it out. And on one hand, I love that. I love that that's part of our story. On the other hand, I'm like, you know, podcast culture isn't really DIY. So <laughs> I think there are people who check out our shit and go, oh, this is fucking sucks. So I, I hopefully, hopefully, you know, people give us a chance and there's like a balance there. Well, I think there's also a little bit of charm to that just in terms of, yeah. let's face it, you know, I, I'll, I'll even say this, you know, we're never going to reach Mark Marin levels, you know, we sure. are, I think our core audience are just the hardcore fan enthusiasts. And, you know, <laughs> here in the Kansas City area, I think right. we have a little bit of a following. And then obviously yeah. in Philadelphia with you guys, even here in like some of your uh, when you guys were at the horror marathons and doing, you know, the uh, the uh, almost like cub reporting, uh, yeah. the little segments, you know, I love that stuff. And that's the thing, um, just in terms of the whole reason I wanted to kind of reach out to some of the, the podcasts I listen to is to make sure that other li- our listeners are seeking out other podcasts, because mm-hmm. if, if it's stuff that I like, I can guarantee our listeners will like that. So um, but I also want to shout out you had a great venue episode you guys did. Um, and I love it when you get regional with that kind of stuff, because it only <laughs> yeah. kind of encourages me to try to do regional stuff, too, because, again, you can hear the genuine passion and all that. So I love that. Um, but then how I'm did glad you like that episode? Because I was worried that that episode sucked. I, that was oh, one no. that I was really anxious about. It's, again, it's you know, you don't have to actually experience your specific venues because you guarantee based on your experiences, we have that venue here, you know, and so forth. But even yeah. also, even if it's about like even the, the sound quality and stuff, I mean, it's always oh, a baptism yeah. by fire. But I think, you know, the good part about it is sometimes people can realize that it's about the discussion as opposed to like, you know, so that's one good thing. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so how did then the horror business come about? Well, so, you know, as I said, I, I moved to the Lehigh Valley, which people are familiar with Philadelphia area. That doesn't mean anything. But basically, uh, not that far from Philly is Allentown. And then the Allentown area is like a few other 
I don't know, I wouldn't call them cities, but larger towns nearby. So I'm in a town called Easton. Um, we moved here for my wife's job. And there are people we know through punk and hardcore who live in Easton still. Like the whole – there's a point in your life, and it's less common now because you get older and you stop going to shows. But there's a point going to shows where you go to a show and there would be people like within a 30-mile radius. So you – whether you knew it or not, you knew people from Newark, Delaware. You also knew people from North Jersey or you knew – you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because everyone yeah. drove – to central locations for shows. So there are people here that I knew, and Justin Lohr was one of the people I kind of knew, and he was inspired by not just us, but other people's podcasts to start his own podcast. So he started his own podcast, Horror Business, which is why if you go to the Horror Business thing on Cinepunks, it starts with episode four, because he did three episodes on his own, and uh, and it was just, it, it, it didn't work. And it was mostly like a sound quality thing. And then it was partly like, you know, doing a podcast by yourself is hard. There's, it's hard to get that energy. And they, they weren't bad or anything like that. It's just I, I think he was having trouble executing on it. You know, it was like three episodes. It wasn't coming out regularly. And we needed help. Like we knew we wanted to expand and we knew we needed people with us behind the scenes. It couldn't just be me and Josh, especially because when it comes to like anything technical, it's just me. And so um, uh, I hit up Justin. I was like, yo, man. Also, oh, and side note. Uh, if anyone seeks out my writing when I used to write for Synapse, um, I did a regular thing on Synapse called A Journal of Fear. It was just me writing about horror movies, more around Halloween, but I did some other stuff. And I, I just couldn't execute on A Journal of Fear the way I wanted to. So I, I was really feeling a need to talk about horror movies more, yeah. Uh, yeah. but not having to write about them as much because writing was getting difficult. And so I hit up Justin. I'm like, yo, man, why don't we move horror business to – Cinepunks, I can help you with all the technical stuff like recording it, editing it, all that shit. And then you'll have a co-host, you know, is that cool? And uh, he was like really into it. I also – part of that deal was I wanted him to to run our Facebook because I didn't want to deal with it anymore. <laughs> but it turns out he didn't really want to do that either. So uh, we now have like an actual like mini team of people who help with the Facebook and it's still not that great. So <laughs> it's just everyone who does anything with Cinepunks has a job. So it's not like no one's paid to do anything for Cinepunk. So it's like sometimes our social media is popping, but that's just because people have free time at work. Oh, and yeah. sometimes oh, the yeah. social media <laughs> yeah. doesn't exist, you know. This yeah, the real life has no right. business involving itself in the uh, podcasting life. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. So, anyways, so we started with the harvest thing, and I think we both felt like doing it in the way we figured out, which is let pick, let's do two movies. We watch them together, which was a new thing. He wasn't doing that before, so it's like we pick two movies, we watch them. Um, and then we record. And our original goal was to watch both movies and then record immediately after. I'll straight up own that that never happened. It was too hard <laughs> to get a double feature in and then record and, for oh, like an hour and a half. It wasn't yeah. gonna work. That would be rough. <laughs> it's it's hard enough to get down to get to uh, to get a commentary. So. Yeah. Well, well, I really like those. The fact that you really with Cinepunks, it really opens itself up to really much, pretty much whatever you want to talk about. But as you said, then with the horror business, you don't necessarily have to justify when you do a horror episode. You know, if you want to do that in the middle of May, you can do that. Mm-hmm. So, but you also mentioned Eric Roberts is the fucking man podcast. Um, <laughs> how did that come about? Because you, you you touched upon it briefly, but in terms of Cinepunks to horror business to eric roberts i mean you well know. that's just i've been friends with doug doug designed our website the current version of the website doug designed and uh he asked me one time to step in as like a guest 
uh, well, as like a guest host. Basically, his host sort of canceled. <laughs> his co-host sort of canceled. Uh, had stuff going on. So I stepped in as just a guest host for one episode. By the way, that episode was with uh, director Izzy Lee. She's done a lot of like short oh, yes. film nice. stuff. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is I got to meet her later and she had no idea who I was for like the first day. And then she was like, oh, wait, we did that Eric Roberts podcast. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. So anyways, um, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I did that. And then later on, his guest or his co-host just couldn't do the podcast anymore. It just wasn't going to work out. So Doug was just like, yo, man, do you want to do this with me? And I said, yes. Now, here's the thing. And I love that. And I love doing it with Doug. I will say, when I agreed to do it, he didn't explain to me, by the way, the whole point of this podcast is that Eric Roberts has a really mixed filmography. So, like, you do some good movies, you do some bad movies. But what he didn't say was, by the way, we've done all the good movies. We've oh. run through them. They're done. <laughs> All that's left is bad movies. He didn't say that, and so far that's been the case. So I'm like really manning the like <laughs> downward spiral of the podcast at this point. It's really fun listen, but as someone who has to actually watch all these projects, sometimes it's a real slog. I was going to say, it's your oh, own man. runaway train without getting to watch <laughs> runaway train, sadly. That's rough. That's really rough. But I, you know what? You're not spreading yourself in, man, because they're all really good, uh, again, uh, on regular rotation. So the other thing we've been talking about with people coming on is, you know, the fact that you, you're you doing a, a weekly, almost, you know, a, was it a roughly about a biweekly horror podcast? You know, what yeah. was your gateway into the world of horror? So, um... When I was a kid, and apologies to anyone who's heard me tell this story before because I've done it before, but uh, if, if you haven't, when I was a kid, uh, I was – my I'm trying to think of the best way to, to describe this. But basically, <laughs> my mom's boyfriend at the time, who's my stepdad now, but uh, they actually broke up and they got married like way later in my life. But when I was like in second grade, I was at his house. And he was just like, hey, you know, the my sons are upstairs. They're watching something. Why don't you go hang out? And I just went to go hang out with them. And, you know, it never occurred to him to check to see what it was they were watching. <laughs> and they were watching uh, A Night Run Elm Street. So oh. <laughs> second grade, I got to check out A Night Run Elm Street. And uh, it, it, it fucked with me a little bit. But then I got kind of into it. And I immediately introduced my friends to it, who I, I guess – they also had irresponsible parents. <laughs> but basically, pretty quickly, me and my friends were like obsessed with Freddy. And if you remember, yeah. like uh, for me, like this was like I guess like eighty seven, eighty eight. So like that's about the time that like Freddy was going from a scary child molester to like a cool cultural icon. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think I think like uh, we sort of rode that wave, and that helped me get into horror generally. So that that combined with I, you know, some of the because I was into these horror movies, my mom also encouraged me to read, and I just picked up a, a Stephen King book. So it was like both things in my life. Like one was the movies, and again, the movies wasn't immediate because we didn't have cable at first, so I could only rent them. And my mom was somewhat. You know, she let me rent some crazy stuff, but she would look a little bit. So if the cover was too crazy, she might like – or if it was obvious on the back that there might be like rapey themes, I couldn't <laughs> like get that. You know what I mean? Right. But like she didn't actually watch any of the movies, so she didn't know that I was still seeing some crazy stuff at a young age. Uh, and then you know, she was just encouraged I was reading. So like uh, the, end of, the end of third grade, I finished It for the first time. Oh, and she was just so impressed I read an adult book. It didn't occur to her to be like, this is not appropriate for a child. She was just like, wow, my kid's a fucking genius. Look at him reading these books. And, and, like, and it wasn't until like years later, I think I was in high school, that she, she uh, my mom is, has dyslexia. And so for a while she wasn't reading. And then later on in life, she just kind of 
you know, it's, I'm actually really proud that she did this. She just kind of steamrolled through yeah. and then just decided to start reading and start awesome. reading all the stuff. And so she was like, oh, all these Stephen King books in Liam's room that he read when he was a kid, I'll just start reading them. And she was so fucking freaked out when she realized <laughs> all these goddamn fucking books I'd been reading. Like, yo, you read some not okay things. I'm like, yep, I sure did. Then come back to your like second doubt, second guessing their parenting. Like, oh my God, what did I expose you to? You're, you're going into second grade going, want a balloon? Georgine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, it was just like, like, uh, uh, I thought of horror, you know, the, the height of my horror reading was probably like, this sounds insane, but third through seventh grade, I was reading a lot of horror. Not at uh, all. Not and, at all. And, what'd you say? Not at all. That's, um, that's, yeah, very, yeah. So that's um, like yeah. when I was like in it. And then honestly, I, I think at the time I really thought of it as just dark fantasy. Like I was reading also like Lord of the Rings and I was reading like, uh, the celery stalks at midnight, but I was also reading like, you know, the CS Lewis books. Like I, I literally went between like the silver chair or whatever to the stand. And that to me <laughs> was like, different versions of the same thing which yeah. sounds insane to say now but as a kid that's how it worked for me is that like there was nice and not nice fantasy stories and it, it didn't occur to me that it was a whole other thing till high school no but you're right you're 100 percent right the stand uh it's a classic tale of good versus evil i mean just like a dark fantasy so yeah spot on so that being said, you mentioned uh, you've you got to see stuff based on the the VHS covers. Uh, in terms of your kind of your background with some of the films from the nineteen seventies, what what just in general, like if anyone says you know we're watching a fil- a horror film from the nineteen seventies, you know for you Liam, what is like your initial what's your initial thought if someone goes yo man we're gonna watch something from the seventies? Well, my first thought are like the I don't know if there's like an official term, but I think of them as like the kind of like the new American like masters of horror. You know, like mm-hmm. you you actually start before the seventies with Night of the Living Dead, but like starting with Night of the Living Dead, things just change. Everything changes and you've mm-hmm. got, you know, Carpenter and you've got Craven and you've got um Romero and you've got Hooper and you've got all these people sort of doing stuff. Uh, that's new and different and that is where i start with the 70s and that's where i sort of started and i and i i you know when i was young i didn't know the difference i didn't know the difference between a 70s movie and an 80s movie but i knew certain movies really got under my skin uh and there were definitely (laughs) 80s movies that got to me too i don't want to discount the 80s but the 80s to me at the uh, my whole life was always they were a little bit glossier they tended to be a little more adventuresome like a lot of 80s movies the the victim has to have a hero moment where they figure out some way to like fuck up the the monster and that's you know a lot of 70s movies that wasn't even on the table it's just oh, God, like no. right. how long till you die was basically all that was <laughs> on the uh, and then as I got older, I started exploring other things so that like now when I think of the 70s, I also think of like Euro horror. I also think of like exploitation films. Like the thing about those new American directors is as great as they were and as important they were to the genre, there was also a lot of stuff going on in the grimy grindhouse world mm-hmm. that wasn't available to me. I mean – it, it was in the sense of like my whole life I saw the I spit on your grave VHS because it was double sized and it had a woman's butt on it, which was <laughs> entirely inappropriate for that movie. And uh, and I always wanted to know what that was. But my mom was smart enough to be like, you don't need to rent that. <laughs> so Just I, never, I never got to see it till I was an adult. And then I was not what I was expecting at all. But uh, 
But the point is, is that like there was also that world, and that's sort of where my exploration started later in life when I went back. Because what happened was I was still watching horror, but it, it's I came back to horror after I got interested in cinema in a larger sense, and then I was like, well, there's got to be some horror films that I didn't get a chance to see that I missed out on, and that has been sort of the re-exploration, you know. You, well, you mentioned you kind of reverse engineer from the stuff you initially get into and you realize that you need to see what is the good stuff from beforehand. Mm-hmm. And you do go into some 70s films. And I will say the one thing with a lot with almost every single film from the 70s that we talked about, especially in the first round, is like you almost have to have a disclaimer <laughs> Or if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna recommend, uh, you know, Rabid to someone for the first time, right. you're gonna say it's a great horror film, but, but you, you know, you need to <laughs> prepare yourself for something. And so many of the films that we looked at, you almost have to kind of have that disclaimer. Well, I think that it's worth noting because I was thinking about that too. It's worth noting that that's also the element that we tend to focus on. I think is like that there are trends in the community of people who are talking about a genre. Right. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. right now, if you're going to talk about the seventies, it's these films. I will say there were plenty of cornball movies in the seventies, like corny horror had not gone away per se. And some of them are great. Like I would say like, uh, the changeling as an example, or, um, burnt offerings. Like there are movies that like, I mean, I say the corny sounds like I don't like them. They're good movies, right. but they're not that gritty, dirty. What the fuck did I just watch? Basket you know, they're not case. like you say, yeah. rabbit. Like just saying, Cron- I mean, Cronenberg is like basically his own fucking genre at this yeah. point. Yeah. You know, like so uh, those things were still going on in horror, and there were big budget horror movies. There were you know very sort of Hollywoody horror movies. Like those things were still happening, but I think you end up focusing on a certain thing. You know, in 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 in, and that happens with anything. When you're thinking about the 80s, for me at least, when I'm thinking about the 80s, I'm thinking of things that tend to be a little more glossy, a little bit more fun and accessible. Mm-hmm. There are still some brutal, fucked up movies, very <laughs> grindhouse, happening in the 80s. They just maybe aren't the things that we remember the most. And technically, some of that shit even went into the 90s. But I, I don't yeah. watch those movies often. But you know what I mean? Like, So I, I, I do want to say like there's a variety. But when I think like, okay, ultimate 70s, <laughs> I'm thinking about something that's a little dirty, that was low budget. Like it wasn't like obvious. Like, it might have made a lot of money eventually, but didn't wasn't made with a lot of money. And there's some part of you that kind of thinks like – at least the first time you saw them, maybe not now, years later when you're familiar with it. But when I first saw a lot of these movies, I thought, oh, is this okay? Should I be watching this? Is this right. a thing I'm allowed to watch? <laughs> these movies are, are – any 70s, even Saturday Night Fever, you're like, ew. There's just parts <laughs> where you just like – I feel greasy. There's an air, yeah, there's an air of danger to these films, and we kind of talked uh, initially in the uh, the '77 episode of you know, direct reflection of what was going on in society at the time. Uh, but ultimately, the two surviving films that we that have survived all the way mm-hmm. here to the uh, the hateful eight uh, round here is. S- Suspiria. No, no, no. We've already. So you, uh, there is a rule, Liam, that when you uh, talk about Suspiria and you say Suspiria for the first time, you have to say Suspiria, and then after that, you can just say Suspiria. So you've been warned, you know, as it works. But yeah, it comes down to again, Beauty and the Beast with Mm -hmm. Suspiria and Martin. Dude. Totally different movies, veneer versus film. Yeah, very much so. And so I want, I'm going to throw it out here to you, Liam, just in terms of what are your kind of your thoughts, background, and experiences with both Suspiria and Martin? Well, um, Suspiria is sort of, uh, I think, 
baby's first Euro horror. Like that is like that's the in. It's, it's your in with Argento. You know what I mean? Like if you are yeah. trying to tell someone to watch, I mean, I've recommended other Dario Argento movies to people who don't want to like Suspiria. You know, there's a certain kind of person that's like, oh, I don't think I want to be into that. So like if, if someone is interested in Giallo or Jolly as a as a <laughs> genre, you know, I'll do the Animal Trilogy. That's fine. You know, those movies are good. I like those movies. But like when we, when I say, oh, it reminded me of Argento, you're fucking thinking about Suspiria. Everyone is. That's just the reality mm-hmm. that like at whatever else you watch and enjoy by Argento, when I say it's very Argento, we're all thinking Suspiria. And what's weird is I don't think that there's a lot of other Euro horror that is anything like Suspiria. I don't know that there's a lot of movies that are anything like Suspiria. That Suspiria is its own weird alchemy, its own fucking poison that you don't even know how it works, why it works, why it is the magic that it is. It just is. But it's also the first step that I think a lot of people take to get into Euro horror generally, even if they're never going to find Suspiria. There's no other thing that you're going to get to and be like, oh, look, it's the same as Suspiria. It's never going to happen for you. (laughs) But that's where a lot of people start. Um, And so that's a movie that I saw. Man, I saw that for the first time i think in high school and i had heard about the film and i rented it um on vhs and i remember thinking i don't know what i just watched and it started (laughs) sort of a i don't want to say obsession but an interest where i've returned to the film pretty regularly every few years and appreciated it a little bit more um the height of which was getting to see it on film i've seen it now on 35 millimeter yeah, four times ooh, I think, ooh, and nice. every time it's beautiful, totally worth it. And I'm pretty sure every time it's the same, the same print. The <laughs> Harry, you know, the Exhumed Films is the group out of Philly, and uh, the guy in, in Exhumed who collects actually collects film is this guy Harry uh, Guero. He's now running his own company called Garage House Pictures that puts out oh yes. uh, Blu-rays. So I would recommend checking Garage House Pictures out. They but just he, put out tra- Trailer Trauma Three, if I recall. Oh it? yes, yeah. oh yes, oh yes, and uh, they hmm. also put out one of my favorites ninja busters check it out uh but uh the he owns like a thousand prints like he owns so many prints Holy and so God. his copy of suspiria is uh, from what i've been told one of the best in the world and so i'm pretty sure all these different screenings of suspiria i've been to in different parts of the country i'm like 90 percent sure they're just all harry's print i've just been <laughs> watching the same print over and over again as if it was mine you know but uh but it's great it's great it's 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 a movie that I've come to appreciate and really sort of think about when it comes to movies that are almost unintentionally brilliant, that almost work despite, despite themselves. Them. Like there's no reason for that movie to be the magic that it is in a lot of ways. Uh, so that's sort of my history with Suspiria. When it comes to Martin, Martin was the, uh, for me, lost Romero treasure. Yep. I mean, you just can't fucking find that movie. Like it's, yep. it's like so impossible. And honestly, I wouldn't know anything about it if it wasn't for, uh, the same group exhumed uh, just, a, I think, two years ago at uh, their Harathon, 24-hour Harathon, played it. And I was like, oh, well, look at this. I'm going to get to see Martin. Oh, wow. I had never, see, never seen it before. This is 35-millimeter print. Not as pretty as Suspiria. Definitely a little pink. Mm-hmm. But uh, still worth watching. And uh, I've been pretty into it ever since. And I've read, since I watched it, I've read so many articles about it that I feel like I know the movie really well, even though I haven't gotten to watch it again since. I don't know where to get – I don't know where to, to, to acquire a regular home video version of this thing that I should be watching it. 
Um, but I've read about it so much because to me, it is the most interesting Romero film. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, and that's as a huge Dawn of the Dead fan. In fact, I would say Dawn of the Dead is is historically one of my favorite horror films of all time. There's just something about Martin that's so interesting that I just keep, you know, if you if you've written something about Martin, you know, hit me up on Twitter and uh, <laughs> I'll check it out. When you watched it at the movie theater, yeah. 35 millimeter, did it feel like you were in 42nd Street? I mean, just like just watching it in like a dirty grindhouse theater. It, 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 it was crazy. It was an intense experience, yes. Yeah. And it was uh, it was such an interesting movie to put in a horror marathon. I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was great. It was great to see it. And uh, and what's what was weird uh, seeing it is, um, uh, I have I, parts of it I had actually seen before, even though in my brain I'd never seen it. So I'm wondering if. You know, I would go to a lot of parties where people would have horror movies on in the background. Mm-hmm. Someone I knew had a VHS copy of this thing, and I just never sat through the whole thing. Uh, but I, in my brain, I thought, oh, I've never seen Martin. And then watching it, I was like, no, I've seen parts of this before. So, um, but seeing it as a whole was like kind of like unbelievable. Yeah, it's revelatory because it's it is that lost romance. It's the one film that really no one talks about. Mm-hmm. And yep. it's let's face it, it right to me it really re- re- belongs up in the upper vampire yeah, it's, genre. It's one of his better films. It I really mean. is. So we talked a little bit about it the last time, but what do you think in terms of why is it that no one knows about this film? Is it just because of the fact that you just can't find a good copy of it? I I, I mean I do think accessibility is a thing, and it's something that we don't talk about as much when we talk about the impact of of movies. Oh, yeah. You know, like what. what to me, that, that that has to be one of the reasons that this movie doesn't have the play it should. It's just not a lot of people have seen it. It hasn't played on cable. It isn't mm. available on Blu-ray. There's no, like, shout edition or <laughs> Scream Factory, rather, edition of it. So, like, it just hasn't gotten around that much. And, and I don't think there's that many prints of it either. But I also think it might be a hard movie for people to connect with. It's certainly genre-bending. Mm-hmm. It asks you to determine for yourself. And it, and it plays with themes... Uh, it plays with themes that horror movies often address but don't address so directly. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of horror films address religion, but they do so sort of obliquely. And this movie very directly yeah. directs re- religion in the broadest sense, not in the idea of just a specific – even though it's related to Christianity. I think it's largely about the idea of believing in something and and uh, uh, whether the world can allow for that and how people respond to dogmatic ideas. I mean Martin is not just a heretic to his religious uncle who – uh, hates him. He's he's a heretic as far as a vampire. He doesn't do yeah. anything vampirish, yeah. and he hates the idea of all vampire things. And there's something about that that's like kind of could be frustrating for an audience. Um, I think the way that he kills is very intimate and creepy and yeah. um, weird. It somehow comes across. It has this aspect to it that is both sort of assaulty. He, he, it feels like he's mm. assaulting these women, oh, he but is. it's also. He is. Yeah, 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 but he, but it's also like vulnerable. He's like not strong. He like right. he is weak in yeah. the way that he assaults these women. It's like when we see uh, sexual assault portrayed, oftentimes it's always this like person who's filled with power and it's an expression mm-hmm. of their strength. And for Martin, it's all about subterfuge and weakness. And uh, anyways, there's something very intimate and gross about it that's like super unsettling in a great way. Like that's on purpose. It's not like 
it's trying not to be. It's like very unsettling. And I think uh, it also very directly addresses poverty like that. You know, it's filmed in um, it's not actually filmed in Pittsburgh. It's filmed in. um, What's the name of that fucking town? Begins with Monroeville. Oh, I don't think it was. it. I don't even think it was Monroeville. I think it was the other town with it begins with a B. Uh, Shit. I don't remember the name. So if you guys remember um, for a while, there was a mayor in Pennsylvania that was like the punk rock mayor. And he was on The Daily Show a lot. And they talked about how he was trying to revitalize his dead town. Uh, The movie's like filmed in that town. Interesting. Yeah. And it's like uh, that. What's crazy is because if when you watch it. It's very easy to be like, oh, Central PA, mm-hmm. 70s, of course, the town is dying, right, whatever. Right. But actually, Pittsburgh wasn't that bad in the 70s that this town is like the canary in the fucking coal mine of what was going to happen <laughs> it, to all of Pennsylvania, you know? It had a dirty uh, 40 Street district. It had the red light district, so it couldn't have been yeah. doing that bad. <laughs> well, this yeah, is... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But go, so, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, going back to like something about uh, the, this being a hidden gem, do you think maybe Romero's notoriety as the king of the zombies might also be part of play why a lot of people don't see Martin? Well, yeah, I mean, think about it. Like, I don't know, it, I don't know that any of his other movies uh, outside of the zombie ones really sort of play as often. Like, you hear a little bit about the crazies, but the crazies mm-hmm. is, I think, in a sense, kind of accessible. Um, you never hear about Night Riders. I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> never. I, I, there's and, something uh, about and, a shirtless Savini that just turns people off. Unfortunately, yeah, <laughs> sure. they don't know what they're missing. And you don't hear a lot. I, I, I think recently I've heard more about it, but you don't hear as much about Monkey Shines. And I think Monkey Shines is a fucking stellar film. It's like, like really, Monkey really Shines. good. Yeah. Saw it in the theater. Won't yeah, lie. I like Monkey Shines. Yeah, I think that's a great movie, and it's not one that you hear people when they talk about Romero talk about. I, I, I think in that sense, like as much as I love Dawn of the Dead, as much as I love Night of the Living Dead, as much as I vaguely appreciate Day of the Dead, uh, those movies. <laughs> Those movies have fucking haunted our man. Like he, yeah. every time he tries to do something else, it just doesn't go over as well. And I think those movies get stifled. And especially a movie like Martin, that is, uh, you know, it's meditative. It's 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 somewhat vaguely. It, it, it has a vague politics to it, and just showing the way of life in that town, and showing Martin and sort of what he's going through. There's just a lot going on, and and it's also culturally obscure. Like his yeah. uncle isn't just religious he's like kind of orthodox right like he's it's mm-hmm. his his religion is off-putting if you're not from that area you know like there's a lot to it that i think is very specific and i think that specificity probably turns people off well and that's why i think this is an interesting just in terms of kind of you know pitting these two films against each other one is again very much the beautiful film the art film uh and then the other one is just this grimy filthy brilliance you know very it's much just so. like it, it's just because the movie holton martin is just it's a it, it, once we begin, when you say it's a dirty movie, I mean, he's doing terrible things. And like you said before, he's just weak about it, you know? And you're, uh, it's just a very complex movie. And I, I think it definitely, like we said, we, we want to, we want to warn people. So if you're not ready to see like vampire assault, but if you can, it's really worth a shot. It really well, is. Well, and even even when you say vampire assault, people are picturing like fucking <laughs> hammer horror, some <laughs> right, dude, no, you know, this seducing is, a woman. Count, no, Cos- this is Count Cosbula. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and to me, this almost feels like an American hammer horror film. 
just because I, especially just given the the atmosphere of the town it very much kind of felt like a Transylvania town if you're on the switch <laughs> side. And then, of course, given the American sensibilities <laughs> that they wouldn't make it a more traditional vampire, it is very off-putting the way it's just with the slice oh, mm-hmm. and the drugging and everything. So it's very much its own take on it. Yeah. Um, and it's one, I, I again, I think is very underappreciated. But then on the flip side with Suspiria, I mean, and thankfully we're getting ready to get a good Blu-ray. Yeah. Uh, I guess I think it's Synapse that's going to be putting that out, you know, just in terms of all the good boutique Blu-ray labels we have. Because yeah. I do think in terms of when you see Suspiria the first time, depending, that's a film, and I'm glad you talked about it, Liam, that one you really need to see on the big screen. Yeah. You know, you need to see that in the most punishing way possible because I think nowadays so many people, they just watch films on their phones. And that's kind of just that's how people mm-hmm. do that nowadays. So I, just, I mean, nobody in your it, I, let me just put this out there. If you're listening to a fucking horror podcast and you're going out of your your way to do it and you're like, yeah, that's me. I, listen, I watch movies on my phone. You're a goddamn poser. Fuck you. Turn this off. Like, no, like, like no one who actually loves movies should be watching them on their phone. Like, that's insane to me mm-hmm. that that would be even consideration. And, I, you know, I'm not even down like this is and this is coming from someone who I subscribe to like every fucking streaming service I can afford. I, uh, I actually pay money for Blu-rays. And I still think that like if you love movies, you should be seeing them theatrically if you can. If you live somewhere where that's not an option, that sucks and you should probably move. But the reality is like that's the experience. That is the actual experience. And a movie like Suspiria is the best example of it because it's so goddamn hypnotic, mm-hmm. immersive. It's an experience, and it's something that like you can feel your fellow audience members yeah. reacting emotionally. We're all goddamn uncomfortable, and we don't know why. I mean, half the movie's just goddamn architecture. It's just <laughs> interior design. It's like Argento's just like, look at the corner of this room, and you're like, yeah, man, that's creepy. No, you're yeah, that's right. You are 100% fucking correct. A movie like this, and all movies in general, I think should be seen in a movie theater, and you, you are spot on. It's like just beautiful shots of nothing but it's bright and bombastic and it's pretty and it's creepy at the same time and you love it but you don't know why because you don't know what the fuck is going to happen the next time and you're so intimidated you don't want to be that one guy the first time you see it that goes uh i don't like it or i don't get it but you it's one of those that really grows on you i Mm. mean there are plenty of people who do like suspiria yeah no yeah we uh when the we're i think the second time i saw it on 35 was during a horror marathon and there was a, guy, a couple next to me that just could not stand it. Which, and again, I get it. I, it, but man, just to see it, and the fact that you got to see Martin on thirty-five in a theater, I would be afraid. That one to me is. I seriously, if I got out and I heard, I would be like, ooh. You know, <laughs> sometimes they yep. gotta give you that. Yeah, that the, the, the what is it the um the the castle experience. There. Yeah, the William Castle, the feel of vision. <laughs> so we are gonna go ahead and break these two films down. We're gonna pit them against each other and uh, into the you know, to see which film is gonna represent uh, in the uh, the frightful four here. We've got two criteria that we're gonna be looking at here. And the first one, you know, when we looked at the films from 1980s and the 1990s, we were kind of like wanting to try to find what is something that is a best representation of that genre of that area. So from the 70s, I'm going to kind of put this out to you guys. I want you to kind of define what you feel is the aesthetic if someone says 1970s horror, you know, in, in terms of, you know, imagery that comes to mind, tropes, characteristics, things like that. And then the second thing that we're going to look at is, you know, obviously 
these films are celebrating their 40 years in release. Uh, 40 years is such a long goddamn time. You know, which film will, not necessarily us, but, you know, film nerds be talking 40 years from now. Mm -hmm. So in terms of a 70s aesthetic, we are going to start with our guest here. Uh, Liam, if I say 1970s horror, you touch upon it briefly, but for this uh, sake, you know, what is kind of the the imagery that pops to mind? What's your criteria? I mean, it's... it's, (sighs) It, it is actually hard to say. Like this is the thing. It, 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 when it comes to defining uh, times and movements and genres and all these things, there there are always these like vague guideposts that like as soon as you focus too hard, it kind of gets messy, you know. Um, but I I do tend to think um, low budget uh, or you know just not big kind of Hollywood. I do tend to think um, a lot of seventies horror actually sort of highlighted like. I don't want to say normal people, but like everyday people, mm-hmm. like not big Hollywood glossy mm-hmm. stars, but like people who seem like average folks who are wearing, you know, the, the whole aesthetic of the seventies is like the fashion's just fucked and <laughs> everything, everything is brown and orange and like mustard yellow and all the colors just make you want to die. Like everything looks like someone puked on it. Like it's just, Dallow. everything is, just- it, it's so gross. Just an odd palette of nausea. <laughs> yeah, just just nauseous, you know. Um, uh, I tend to think of films that are exploring um, gore, but they haven't necessarily perfected it yet. Mm-hmm. A lot of the best gore really comes to the fore in the later 70s into mm-hmm. the 80s. Uh, a lot of 70s gore tends to be a little bit more Crayola, you know, a little bit more off-color blood and things like that. Um, but still there, like it's still, there's uh, intense violence, but also a lot of like, I don't want to say nihilistic, but, but (laughs) a reflection of a reflection of hopelessness, a reflection of, oh man, like here we are in the seventies and things still aren't better. So, uh, I I think the eighties, even the horror movies in the eighties were infected a little bit with some of that gross eighties hope that is not real. Uh, and so I think the seventies, we were still in the, like, cause you think the seventies are crazy, right? There's terrorist groups everywhere. The whole country kind of is, is fucked economically. No one has goddamn jobs, you know, gas. It's like you're in line for gas mm-hmm. at certain times. There's so many things that happened in the seventies that we don't even remember anymore. Like if you ask a millennial, like, Oh, how many fucking European white people, terrorist groups were there in the seventies? It's like none, but it's like, no, that was it. No. Every other day, some fucking German communists were blowing something up like the whole world was insane at that time Mm -hmm. and i think the horror movies kind of reflect some of that um so so all the that those sort of uh intangible things kind of go into what i think of a a little bit like also um some of the sci-fi kind of like new agey shit you know Mm -hmm. um uh often like a, a conflation of uh, the monster and the good guy so that it wasn't always clear, you know, especially yeah. like what, if I'm thinking of like Cronenberg, you know, like, uh, they came from within slash whatever the other name of that movie is. Uh, Oh, even a lot of, uh, Craven's early work. Where yeah. You, yeah. you do find that nice divide of, well, obviously when, what happens when the chaotic chaos brings into the normalcy. So, I yeah. agree. No, you paint a very dirty, yeah. dour, very bleak picture. But yeah, no, that's exactly kind of what I think was 70s horror. So genius in terms of 70s horror. What do you think about? I kind of go along the lines of like what he was saying, uh, where it didn't, like you said, in the 80s, it was always like good versus evil in a way. This evil could win in the 70s. But 
when I was growing up, my first exposure to 70s movies were exploitation and those old Chopsaki films. So when I think of 70s, I don't necessarily think of like Black Dynamite, but I think of like that low budget, that kind of gritty aesthetic where the film is kind of just gnarly, poor value, but a good story. So, but I'm also thinking there's a lot of what the fuckery. Okay, so when I think of 70s, I think of what the fuckery as well as the dirty. So that's where I'm having a hard point, especially with Martin and Suspiria, because Martin is dirty and gritty, but there's just so much what the fuckery in him. So when I think of when I think of um, the 70s, I think of dirty. What the fuck? No, that that's encapsulated perfectly. <laughs> and I will say just in terms of in thinking of the 70s aesthetic and so forth. Again, it's films that I feel like I have to you know, set up before I recommend films that I have to apologize for, you know, also, but in just in terms, you guys have also touched upon this, but I really truly feel there are some good, there's some good filmmaking going on yes. in here. And so sometimes I feel not necessarily more like an adult, but with a lot of these films, I felt like I was watching something I may not have been prepared for. So to me, there's also that air of danger with a lot of these films. Well, I, I think there were a lot of directors who, who were very good, who started out in horror in the seventies. Mm -hmm. And I think, at the same time, there wasn't sort of the cheap cash in. Like a lot of these movies did end up making money, but it wasn't obvious that they were going to make money. So like while there are some like cheap money grabs in the 70s, it was less tempting than by the time you get to the 80s, you could oftentimes really make a piece of shit and walk away with a chunk of change, yeah. you know? So I think sometimes, and, and this isn't like a universal truth, but you tend to find in the seventies, more films where someone like cared about what they were doing, uh, mm -hmm. in a different way than like, you know, 1987, 1988, you're like, yo, I'm trying to get that money. Yeah. But have you, have you noticed in the seventies, it was, it seems like it was a lot more brutal. Like the filmmakers would get away with a lot more stories about brutality and showing the brutality. Um, I mean, of course, we have a lot of violence now, but even in the 80s when it was brutal, it was not like as... It was more excessive and flamboyant. Right. Yeah. Versus, again, well, it comes down to, I think, just, we hate to say, but the gritty realism. Yeah, I mean, take a look at the 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 the, the rape uh, drugging scene in Martin. That was That's a disturbing scene. In The Hills Have Eyes, there was some disturbing imagery in there. And while that's always been prevalent in horror, even though it wasn't so, like, real looking and in your face... In the 80s and even in the 90s, especially in the 90s when they started saturating things. Yeah. So. So all that being said, in terms of our uh, 70s aesthetic, it's going to be a simple question here. Which film, in your opinion, ha features the better 70s aesthetic than Suspiria or Martin? So and this can be a little subjective and that's good. So I'm going to again throw it out here then. So based on kind of we're all basically saying definitely low budget, real people, good stories very dour and nihilistic with a little mm -hmm. bit of the what fuckery. So that being said, we'll go ahead and Liam, which one in terms of Suspiria and Martin fits your better seventies aesthetic. Here's the thing. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to say Martin, but let me just say this about Suspiria. Um, and this is just who we are. We are focusing a lot of what we're describing <laughs> describes America. And the reality is that like yeah. horror films in Europe in the seventies were, sometimes doing something completely different. Mm -hmm. Like if we were a more Europe based conversation, we might be talking about, uh, you know, Jean Roline, or we might be talking about, um, 
the end of Mario Baba's career or, you know, we might be talking about like uh, glossy or not glossy, but like, uh, you know, nightmarish kind of like um, uh, psychedelic stuff that was going on that was less prevalent in America. America was doing more realistic and Europe was maybe a little bit more um, interpretive or a little bit less obvious or narrative in some of its cases. So like I want to establish that uh, there's a bias there and that it might be very true <laughs> if we were more mm -hmm. focused on what was going on in Europe that we would go with Suspiria. But my suspicion is that <laughs> part of what makes Suspiria work so well is that it's actually kind of timeless. It's not that – seven. it's 70s in the sense of it's psychedelic. Mm -hmm, and I would yeah. say the filmmaking style is very 70s and really influenced other parts of uh, the horror as it went forward. But in reality, for what we're talking about, it you could watch that movie and maybe not know when it was filmed or maybe not know what time it's supposed to take place. So there aren't as many obvious 70s aspects to it, whereas Martin is a film that could not fucking exist at any other time. There's just no... There, yeah. You couldn't watch that movie uh -huh. and be like, oh, they made this in 1990. No, they would never make a movie like this in 1990. They would never make a movie like this in 1965. Like This movie is of its time in such a specific way that I have to go with it, even though some part of me feels like that's a little bit of my like American focus over even though I watch a lot of European films I'm not as knowledgeable about Euro horror so it could be true that that Suspiria is representative of that time and that place in a way that I'm not familiar with I'm going to echo exactly what he says um, while technically aesthetics wise Suspiria is a better film um, yep. Just the grittiness, the dirtiness is what I think of when I think of 70s. Even that scene on there, like the 40, 42nd streets of Pittsburgh suburb, right? That little gritty, that screams 70s. Suspiria is so dreamlike, so odd. Like you said, it could be any time, any place, any country. Uh, so for that, I have to go with Martin on, on being the good representation of the 70s aesthetics. I agree, and I do believe that, as you kind of mentioned it before, Liam, you know, Suspiria, for many, was their gateway into international mm -hmm. horror, and therefore, not necessarily the one that they're going on into their next-level studies, like we were, right. with some of these, because to me, Martin is a next-level, you know, in terms of the horror, the, 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 the echelon, you know, the tiers that you see out there, and so, because, I like the respect given. I'm, that's what I'm ultimately you know, saying here, because ultimately I am going to say Martin with this one, yeah. because this one, to me, I feel like if I was going to take any first-time watcher of either Suspiria or Martin, and which one I would have to apologize more for, <laughs> you know, I think with <laughs> yeah, Suspiria, most... you're definitely going to be like, it's a little artsy, you know, it doesn't not supposed to make a lot of sense, mm -hmm. but with Martin, you're going to be like, yeah, You're, you got you got rapey vampires and Colonel Sanders and and yeah. Sabini without a mustache. So right. to me, in terms of yep. just what you have to apologize for, <laughs> based on that, I am yeah. going to go with Martin. But again, I love me some Suspiria. Right. So now that being said, the, again, both of these films celebrating forty years of existence. We're talking about them. We're debating them. We love them. But forty years from now, which of the two will the future film nerds, whatever they're doing with you know, podcasting or thinking telepathy, whatever it is, you know, which of these two films will they still be talking about? 
I would love to say Martin. I would love it. I would love to say that because I'd love to think that there's a future for this movie, even despite the fact that right now it's still underseen. It's still a movie that not a lot of people talk about. Um, and it's a movie that is hard to find. Like if you've even watched this movie, you probably had to do work to find it in the first place. But I know it's Suspiria. Like I just know that that's the case. I think that Martin is too gross. I think it's too weird. I think that um, – you know, oh, by the way, the town it was filmed in, a uh, chunk of it was in Braddock, PA. And I just think Braddock is a forgotten place. I mean, that's, wow. you know, sh- shout out to Braddock Punks. I know a lot of bands from Braddock. Um, but, wait, wait, uh, but, oh, wait, wait, hold on. We're missing a perfect Chuck Norris pun. Would you say Braddock has been missing in action? Uh, oh! Okay, I got that out of the way. I Sorry. was saying Boo Ernst. That Actually, I, was, I got a giggle in that one. Oh, my God. I might have to Fuck. edit that one out. <laughs> But in other words, I just think that Martin is asking something of you. And again, not that Suspiria isn't. And and this is all coming across like we are in some way lessening Suspiria. Oh, no. But uh, but I just think Martin is a little much for some people and it doesn't mm-hmm. have the payoff. Whereas Suspiria, to me, again, you're right. Like um, uh, you don't have to apologize for Suspiria as mm-hmm. much. You do apologize for it because there are people for whom – it's just too weird or it's too artsy or it's not direct enough. It's kind of abstract. But to me, it's like it, it's such an obvious visual tale that I think if you like filmmaking as an actual art form and not just as a form of entertainment, then you should appreciate what Suspiria accomplishes. So I think people will be discussing that for a while, whereas I think Martin is probably more useful uh, as an almost like academically to understand (laughs) representation and to understand the way we tell certain kinds of stories. And I think it really is an accomplishment, but I just never think it's going to have the legs as Suspiria does. That's, that's very good points. Genius. How about you? So (laughs) I've been thinking really, really hard about this one. Right. Um, now I'm going to throw this out there. Suspiria is the better movie. But I might have to go vote Martin on this one. Okay. Because show your work. Because if we're talking about in general, a couple of aspects. One, what are we talking about? The the 70s, a good representation of the 70s. While Suspiria is the better film, 70s is Martin for 77. Okay. Now, I think everybody is going to be talking about Suspiria in the future. But you said the horror nerds, the horror community. I think it's going to Martin might pop up and like, have you ever seen it? Have you, you need to see this hidden gem. I, I, and I, and so I, I think I, I'm really debating on this one because I think we are, we are going to be talking about these movies 40 years from now. And like you said, of course, everybody's going to be talking about this period, but I think the really hardcore horror nerds, are going to be also, well, what about Martin? And then that's going to spark discussion and bringing up this once hidden gem. So that's where I'm like, ah, this hidden gem that should be talked about versus something that's going to be talked about. I might have to flip a coin. I mean, I really, I mean, I really am, you know, uh, this is a true Sophie's choice. Yeah. Especially because we are talking about just a thematically strong film, but both of them actually just in terms of what they're going for, but just doing it in such different approaches. And so this is where, again, you're going to, you're going to make someone really angry and someone uh-huh. really happy. Um, I'll kind of actually mimic a lot of what you were saying, because of course, I think 40 years from now, we are going to be talking about Suspiria because as Liam, you mentioned, you know, when you say Argento, even maybe kind of the non horror genre fan, they've probably at least heard mm-hmm. of Suspiria, 
But then when you say Romero, no one, especially the non-horror fam, is going to say Martin. They're, of course, going to go into zombies. But I think ultimately... And I was kind of just damning you here for a second, Genius, because you kind of like went on the same thing I was looking at. Of course, we are going to be talking about Suspiria, but I think it's just that next level of, you know, again, kind of passing down knowledge of, yeah, you know, we've seen Suspiria, but have you seen right. Martin? And so I think ultimately it's just which one is going to be the more important film, though, in terms of that's for me, that's going to be kind of my cutoff point. Mm-hmm. Um and for me, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, for me, I'm going to say Suspiria, but it should be next level knowledge for Martin. I'm going to say Martin for me. Okay. No, that works. Because like, I'm thinking like horror nerds, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. so in terms of just calculating our votes here, uh, Martin swept the 70s aesthetic and then Suspiria beat out Martin uh, regarding the 40 years later. So just by terms of just sheer numbers... Martin four, Suspiria two. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this out here because by numbers alone, Martin should be advancing. And let me just throw out here, Liam, would you be comfortable with Martin beating Suspiria, with all of course the you know everything you throw in there? Yes. Yes, one hundred percent comfortable with that. Yeah, yeah. I you know what? I'm comfortable with that too. I mean, one by numbers alone. That being said, Suspiria is the better it really, movie it is but i mean what i mean what are we if, if based on the criteria we've set set mm-hmm. uh, you know out here martin works it really yeah. does be, and that is to me actually a credit to suspiria because i think suspiria is more universal than like typical of the 70s which is I insane think to think about beyond the 70s the fact that we're talking suspiria being more universal just in terms of you know <laughs> between the two definitely so yeah this is a Huge upset, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Martin. Martin. My original bracket had Suspiria going. I've seen many a brackets with Suspiria going all the way. So, holy shit. Meeting in the round of the Frightful Four. Talk about a fucking upset. <laughs> we have George Romero going up against Chuck Russell. Not what I was thinking. Uh, but Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3 will be going up against Martin. So, holy Man. shit. Wow. <laughs> we... we really either pissed somebody off or made somebody's fucking day this is great i guarantee you someone's you know talking to romero now and it's like he's adjusting his glasses and well shit. let's see here <laughs> so we couldn't have done it without you know the folks that led us here um again jeff and richard from the the classic horrors club podcast mm-hmm. and liam thank you yeah. again man for taking the time out thank you guys for having me on this is really great no and i've loved your perspective because you added a lot of, a lot to it which i knew you would um but again uh, please tell our listeners where can they find you out there on the interwebs well so to keep up with cinepunk stuff you on twitter it's just at cinepunks or you can go to cinepunks.com or find us on facebook i mean cinepunks is such a weird name you just have to put it into Google and you're going to find all our shit because nobody else has that name. Uh, if you want to follow me, and I don't know why you would because my Twitter <laughs> is like just retweets of things I like, which is mostly politics, and then me like annoying people with my movie opinions. Like whenever I share music or movie opinions, people just get mad. <laughs> so uh, so I don't know if you want to. But on Twitter, I'm at Liam Rules, and that's R-U-L-Z. I'm well aware uh, between the name of Cinepunks and my name on Twitter, I seem to have uh, a 
problem with spelling things right. But, uh, you know, <laughs> fuck you. I don't care. So that's not my problem. Oh, my God. Let it be their problem. Let them complain. That's what the internet will do. <laughs> right. so Haters going to hate. That's what we do. So, again, thank you, man, for taking the time out for that. So for next time, guys, we're going to be traveling 30 years to 2007. We're breaking down the remaining horror classics from there. And, Genius, what are those again? We have 30 Days of Night versus Wreck. And then we have Trick or Treat versus Wrong Turn 2. It's going to be some good discussions. I know, right? Right. And to help us out, guys, from the Phantom Podcast Network, we will have the gentleman from Modern Horrors. And then after that, we talked about him earlier, but uh, from the From and Inspired by Podcast, Nick Spacek. Mm-hmm. So, again, just loving the connectivity here. So, until next Hi, time. Hi, Nick. You're great. <laughs> <laughs> and based on that, guys, I am Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams. <laughs>